You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to do our very first screen read segment. Yes, screen reads is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. We kind of sort of did it way back in like episode 10 or 11 with Snowpiercer, but the idea of us going through a movie and then looking at the source material that inspired the movie. Starting out with comics, but maybe we'll branch off into other things with it. But I've I've wanted to do that for a long time because I wanted to talk about adaptations. I wanted to talk about the conceptions that make up movies and how sort of pop culture sort of changes the mindset and ideas about certain characters and what they take for one medium that and leave behind in another medium and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we're coming up with. It was recorded actually a couple of years ago. It's, it's really sad, a little embarrassing. But yeah, I got so far behind that I realized that I really need to catch up on releasing all the movie episodes that I already have before I start doing this segment that's about movies of the past. So now we can finally start doing this now that we're caught up with all our releases. <laughs> As far as movies, I should say, we still have several TV seasons in the backlog that we have to release, but we're mostly caught up now, and so that's why I feel like now is the perfect time for screen reads. So when we talk about things, this was very early in the pandemic when we recorded this, so just sort of take that under context with sort of the stuff that we talk about in the episode and how we're sort of expecting our lives to go and things like that, where we probably didn't realize how long we'd be living under this pandemic back when we recorded that. So yeah, without me going on anymore, here is Screen Reads Episode 1, although at the time we didn't even know we were going to call it Screen Reads, and here we are in the episode already in progress. Let's meet our cast. So... First off, she will be my co-host on these episodes, uh, going through all these different comic book movies, and that is my buddy Angie. Angie, how are you doing? I am doing great. Um, we might have to crowdsource the name of the segment. I'm not really funny. That's why I'm on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but I am happy to be here. Good, good. So, um... Of course, it's uh, we're we're in lockdown right now uh, when we're recording this. So, uh, how are you holding up, Angie? Um, I think pretty good, all things considered. I actually got put on lockdown a little before everybody else. Um, my employer, being a hospital, uh, basically refused to let me go back to work after I came home from vacation. So, um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of house projects. Um, silver lining all of the nice restaurants that we didn't want to go to with our toddler we can now get takeout from so we've been sampling all of the fun new restaurants in our city um yeah other than that just basically surviving well that's good that's good 
Yeah, um, I bought the kids a Switch, thankfully, before all this started. So, you know, that's that's keeping them amused, at least. <laughs> Blunting the worst of it. But uh, it's, uh, it's good to have you on the show, Angie. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. All right, next up, you know him as the guy that loves comics. And if you go to his website, you will see just how much with his webcomic. He has Thanos on his couch. That is Eric Ratcliffe. How are you doing, Eric? I exist, my friend. <laughs> okay. So how are you handling lockdown, Eric? Eh. Mm. <laughs> Hanging in there. Uh, I'm slowly, slowly losing my mind. Mm. Going full, um, full Homer. No oh. working, no play. <laughs> no, no, it's um, no beer and no TV make Homer go crazy. Oh, no, I was referencing the Shinning episode. No, I'm talking about the shinning episode. <laughs> it's it's no beer and no TV make Homer something something, and then they go go crazy, and he says, "Don't mind if I do," <laughs> and he starts no, like, they, running around. But yeah. no, there is the scene where he's actually at the typewriter, and they do the all work and no play, and and Marge actually fills in the rest of the line, and then he goes, "Don't mind if I do." <laughs> I believe the typewriter says, "Feeling fine." Yeah, the typewriter says, "Feeling fine." That's right. <laughs> been a while since i watched it. <laughs> but no and then when the lightning strikes and the walls are illuminated it's just no beer and no tv make homer go crazy written all over the walls i love that episode it's such a good episode <laughs> shinin. Yeah. Shinin. don't you mean, don't you mean shining? no no don't say that boy do you want to get sued <laughs> yeah no so yeah uh so are you uh are you holding up okay? Or you already said that you uh, you kind of have anything else, uh, anything good going on? I started uh, Fallen Jedi uh, about mm. two hours ago. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I really like it. It's okay. got that nice, uh, it's actually got more of a Rebels feel to it, which I'm cool with. Mm. Rebels and Mandalorian yeah. more than, you know, like almost leaning towards the classic side of things. Okay. I like it though. It's a very fun game so far. Yeah. Parkour Star Wars. Oh yeah, parkour Star Wars, <laughs> and it's uh, it's uh, Cameron Moynihan. I think that's mm -hmm. how you say it. The guy that played uh, the guy that played Proto Joker on Gotham. Oh okay, he's doing pretty good too. Very easy to like see eye to eye with the character. I think it's half writing, half performance. But like I said, only two hours in so far. It's pretty fun. What else have I been playing? I've been playing a lot on my Switch. Um, blanking on everything i've been playing actually uh i've been replaying final fantasy 9 um mm. keeping new comic day going for the most part i got i had to letter like 40 classic strips um from the archives that i lost when uh the old computer died and mm. it's been taking me forever so probably just sit down for a day or two and go through those four i think it's like 42 43 strips i had to reletter between 302 and like 348 see so that's like a 40 some odd strips yeah because i saw i saw that you posted a new episode um just a few days ago so was, oh yeah it was creep show it was uh talking about the new creep show because it's mm. fantastic if you if you guys have shutter you should definitely try the new creep show if you like the old stuff it's very faithful to the old stuff all right. Well, I'm glad that you're able to find something that's, uh, you know, at least getting you through the 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 times right now. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, so it's good very to have you. Slowly, very slowly losing my mind. Just slowly. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's try to let's try to keep that slower. Although probably I know how you feel about the movie already. Probably watching Green Lantern again didn't help you. Yeah, so. we watched it last night. We'll we'll talk very soon <laughs> within the next half hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Eric. Always good to be here. All right. Always. And next up, just to confuse you listening at home, we have another Eric. He is a guy that I met at a party and we just started talking and then suddenly the party was over and we were like, what's been going on for the last five hours? And that's my buddy, Eric McGracken. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm doing all right. So uh, how are you uh, doing uh, with a young child in, uh, in lockdown? Oh, she loves it that I'm home now. I mm. don't don't get a whole lot of work done, but mm-hmm. she, but she loves it that I'm staying home. Yeah, that's the thing. People ask me like, you know, like, oh, like, how hard is it working from home? Blah blah blah. And I'm like, working from home isn't the problem. I've worked from home when the house is empty, and it is no problem at all. It is working at home when everybody else is here, and you know, everybody's like, "Daddy, I need this. I need that." You know, it's just like ah trying to work so and and she and she's a total sweetheart and a huge daddy's girl so Mm. anytime there's any problem at all she has to come to me to fix it Mm -hmm. and you know i feel like a superhero doing it but then i'm like you know i'm really not getting all the work i need to get done Mm -hmm. i feel your pain man so besides that how are things going not bad i have my animal crossing it's keeping me sane Mm. Uh, and uh, doing a bunch of research for this podcast, so there's that. Okay. And, and as for the name for your segment, I have an idea for you. Okay. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Okay. <laughs> All right. How does that apply to the segment? Because close only counts in horseshoes <laughs> and hand grenades. <laughs> book movies, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> I like it, <laughs> but uh, all right, cool deal. Yeah, um, yeah. I think video games are helping a lot of people, you know, get over the hump. Uh, yeah, I saw that um, GameStop tried to pass themselves off as an essential business and got sl- <laughs> like they lost their license in Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, that's like how Joanne Fabric, because my wife works for Joanne, like they tried to get themselves labeled as an essential business because they sell materials that you could make masks from. And mm-hmm. at least in this state, they were like, no, like they, they operated a couple of weeks after the lockdown. And like, finally, they even sent the police to shut some stores down because they were like, you are not an essential service. You are in violation you know whatever and so they actually like forcibly closed the stores right right. when i heard that i I was kind of like you know they kind of have a point people are gonna need video games but then i was like people don't need a brick and mortar store they can get all their games digitally right oh well yeah i mean there's there's so many i mean even with shopping and things like at least here there aren't very many good like grocery shopping options but for anything else like anything i can get on amazon you know i just get it from amazon now because then that way i'm not going to a store we're not you know we're limiting the vectors you know the thing can travel on you know that's right you know that's what i'm uh, doing ebay ebay surprisingly been pretty good too hmm 
Yeah, go ahead and order that thing from China and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, if you use the right search functions, you know, like US only and, you know, like certain shipping, it actually might be faster than Amazon because Amazon is pri- prioritizing, as they should, uh, important, you know, like actual like things that people need versus, you know, like some silly things you might pick up. I don't know. I can't come up with good examples right now, but. Yeah, yeah, there are some things that I've ordered that aren't going to get here until the end of the month, but it's like, eh, whatever, you know. But, yeah, like the whole stay at home for a month, uh, it's like, it's a breeze. It's not even a, like, I wasn't going to leave anyway. Right. I know. That's the thing. And, and I, I know it's, you know, different people are wired differently, but for me, I'm like, I don't care. This is actually, you know, just fine. <laughs> so, yeah. It's less efficient for getting work done, but you know, as long as that doesn't cause a problem with my employer, you know, this is this is a breeze. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's good to have you back on the show too, Eric. Good to be back. And finally, um, someone that I met from Dragon Con, where we also talked a whole lot, even though it was in the space of just a one-hour panel. Uh, he has talked with us about Lost in Space on this show, and that is my buddy Will. How are you doing, Will? Doing all right. Uh, Nate's good to be back on. Uh, I, it's good to get my geek back on with people. Uh, I've been socially distant, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm missing my social. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, so, uh, yeah, how have, you been, uh, have you been holding up other than missing the social? Uh, well, I teach, and so, I mean, I, I still talk to people online, things like that, but it's not the same. Mm. So it's uh, my kids and I and my wife are all watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer together. My daughter's ten, my son's fifteen. Mm-hmm. So we're going. He's getting kind of his real run through on it. And she's getting really is watching it for the first time. And then, like I said, I, I was telling we were all talking earlier, but I, I bought. We all each have a Switch now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm playing The Witcher. My kids playing Animal Crossing. My son's doing Minecraft. I mean. So, <laughs> uh we're all to ourselves we're actually i, I like i like this i i'm i'm the weird guy because i get mm-hmm. i get time with my son that i wouldn't have my daughter that mm-hmm. i wouldn't have ever had because i coach on top of teaching so i'm you know 12 16 hour days mm. so i'm home <laughs> no that's nice yeah um you know i don't know how things are for your schools and, and what you're doing for your kids but i've been pretty disappointed locally yeah we're digital learning and we we're doing a pretty good job well, I mean, the thing, yeah, they're, 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 they're giving our kids assignments, but that's it. It's like, go to this website, find your assignments, like yeah. no instruction, no anything. It's just like, well, we need 15 minute video lessons a day. So no, that's good. See, that's good. Cause that's what I think. I'm mean, like, the kids aren't going to learn anything. If all you do is give them assignments and like a lot of that, I've looked at a lot of it and it just seems like busy work. It's like, this is something to keep you like doing something while you're at home rather than we're, we're still trying to teach. And I'm like, the first week that made sense. The first, I was like, I get it. The teachers were blindsided. They didn't know there was going to be a lockdown. We're on like week four now. And it's like, you should really have figured this out by now. You well, know, what I, you're going to do. To cut my teacher friends a break, I'm going to defend education a little bit. A lot of us are kind of in your situation. It's easy to work when you're by yourself. It's hard to work when you get, I've got my two kids. Yeah, uh, sure. I both teach and um, it's, I mean, it's a challenge. It was a technology challenge. I went and invaded my school and I mean, with permission, you broke into your school yeah yeah, i did i did i went and got monitors for you know for my for my laptop you know to have split screen so grading's easier 
Mm-hmm. I've got my mics. I, you know, I've got my professional mics and stuff like that. So that way I kind of set up, set up a studio in my, in my house. I can guarantee you not every teacher, especially in poor districts, have that access. So, mm. No, that makes sense. Well, that's cool. It's, <laughs> you guys have uh, each have your own switch. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. More power uh, to you if you can afford it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, my, daughter got, my, my daughter got one for Christmas, and that was her big Christmas present. We decided to get another one because my wife wanted to play a lot of Animal Crossing. And then we got my daughter. And my, wife, my daughter doesn't really want to play it on the TV, so I got her a Switch Lite so I could play that. So it was kind of in stages. Sure. It wasn't all at once. Like, like, hey, let's all go get a Switch this week. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Ours is communal. And, and, and <laughs> in the beginning, it was a little bit of a problem with the kids. You know, making sure that, you know, they give each other turns and they don't just hog it. But, you know. Now, now it's going pretty well because they both prefer to have it in handheld mode. You yeah. Know? So they just want to go run off with it, and it's yep. like, eh. <laughs> come back. <laughs> yeah, Share. exactly. Yeah. Yep. As I've yep. got them on one hour, sh- you know, it's like once one of you's <laughs> had it for an hour, the other one gets it for an hour, and you switch back and forth. Would you like to sign up for the for another hour, sir? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That'll be three loads of laundry. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. my kids my kids have worked for their switches. Let's <laughs> just mm. say that. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, that's what I I've got a system like that going yep. too. So, yep. 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 All right. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Will. Oh, always, man. Love being here. All right. So. We're not going to do a five-minute controversy because we have a bunch of people on the podcast and we don't want this thing to go, like, forever. Uh, so <laughs> for now, we're just going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast. Do you like podcasts? Then you're going to hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. And so, like I talked about, we're going to talk about a comic book movie and talk about the comics that it used as inspiration. And the movie that we're going to talk about this time is Green Lantern. (laughs) And (laughs) which is a movie. So the reason why I wanted to do this one first is because it's a movie that I feel like has been slagged off since it came out. And while I don't think it's the greatest movie of all time, I think it was kind of unfairly, you know, slagged off as being like the worst comic book movie and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of was interested in a bunch of people getting together and for everybody to sort of get sort of a basic background with the character and then decide really, you know, on two levels, how does it stack up as an adaptation? How does it stack up as a movie? Because I think some people confuse the two. You know, and basically are like, well, it's not a good adaptation, therefore it's a bad movie. Um, so we'll get into that. 
But first off, I just want to know everybody's basic background with the character. Um, so, Eric McCracken, why don't we start with you this time? Uh, what What is your knowledge of the Green Lantern? Well, um, <clears throat> uh, the Green Lantern was actually the first superhero I was ever introduced to. Mm. Uh, my my uncle one of my uncles rather was uh, really huge into it. And he let me read his comic books when I was young and uh, specifically the Hal Jordan variant is been one of my all time favorite superheroes of all time. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel pretty strongly about this character. Okay. And have you been reading Green Lantern comics all through that period or did you give it up at one point or? Uh, I, it was kind of hard to get my hand on comic books when I was in the service. Mm. But, uh, you know, like on and off, like I'll pop in to see what they're currently doing or, uh, or pay for a service to read some back issues. But, uh, haven't read too much of the recent stuff, but yeah, like we're focusing mostly on the early stuff and that's where I'm strongest. Okay, good. Uh, so Angie, what about you? What is your background with the Green Lantern? Yeah, uh, sometimes I watch the Justice League cartoon and that's it. Okay. Until the movie came out, had no real background in Green Lantern at all. All right. Um, Eric Ratcliffe. So... Uh, obviously like, like similar to Angie because uh, so I'm I'm 32 so I grew up on Justice League and Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series that whole DC um, cartoon universe the Tim the Timverse as some people call it um, but um, I knew of Kyle because I read some Justice League in passing but, and I told Nathan I would save this story for the podcast. Um, so about, I want to say it was like 2001, 2002, um, when I jumped back into DC Comics, it was a Justice Society of America um, arc that I just found randomly at like a Barnes & Noble called us. Thunder, where it was all about uh, Jakeem Thunder being introduced and Johnny and the, uh, and and the genie and just all this cool stuff. So I jumped back in with DC with that. And soon, you know, I'm reading more and more Jeff Johns and I find out Green Lantern Rebirth is happening. And the next thing I know, a couple years after that, I have my very first tattoo, which is on my the top of my bicep, which is the Green Lantern symbol with, um, with the green flames around it, similar to what happens to Alan in the story at one point. And it's a beautiful piece that, like I said, was my first tattoo and I, I love it. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm a guy who, you know, like loves every single lantern and can, you know, like appreciate like, God, I was reading up until blackest night before I stopped reading uh, ongoing for, mm. for, for ages. And I mean, rebirth is what brought me back into uh into Green Lantern and made me fall in love with the series and just real fast since I'm taking up a lot of time here um, real fast there is a separate 
though very bizarre connection. And since I was talking about my Green Lantern tattoo, there is a wrestler named Shane Helms, who some would know if you're a wrestling fan as Stand Back. There's a hurricane coming through. And on his upper bicep, he has a Kyle Rayner Green Lantern tattoo. And I remember vividly, you know, like watching him as a preteen teenager during the attitude era and i was just like oh this guy this guy's awesome you know you have a comic book nerd who is legitimately part of wrestling and you know like is playing a superhero wrestler and just knowing him so it was like various parts of pop culture reconnecting with my love of comic books which mostly leaned marvel back into the dc side of things Hmm. okay Long-winded over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's very cool. All right. So, Will, what about you? What is your background with Green Lantern? Oh, man. Um, I want to say it goes back to when I was a kid, and I'm, I'm maybe the oldest people in the room. So. <laughs> maybe. I, uh, hey, thanks, Nate. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I uh, with Justice Friends when I was a kid and, and the Super Friends and all that, and I, Green Lantern was my favorite character then. I always thought his powers were cool. I always liked the, the little bit of attitude that went with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, that, that's my beginning. And then I fell in love again during um, Justice League with uh, that version. And I, I just always loved what the character stood for, you know, the, the oath and everything else. So that's my background. All right, cool. Yeah, so um, for me, um, it was Super Friends. Grew up watching Super Friends. Um, There was, I knew his origin because there was an episode where the Legion of Doom went back in time to uh, undo the three most powerful uh, Super Friends and Green Lantern was one of them. Um, So they kept him from getting the ring so he didn't exist in the present anymore. So I knew the basics and then much later I saw Superman the Animated Series which did their own version of his origin except they had it be Kyle Rayner but they had they had Hal's origin but for Kyle Kyle. Rayner which is kind of weird. Um, but, uh, and also, even though I was a Marvel zombie, uh, my whole time creating or reading comics, um, I was familiar because I'd read Wizard Magazine. I knew it was going on in DC. I'd hear people talking about it and an Emerald, uh, Twilight was going on and, you know, all this stuff with Parallax and all that. And so I was very familiar that this was something that was, you know, going on and that people had opinions about it and everything. So, um, you know, I kind of knew some Green Lantern lore from that. But, you know, it's never a character whose book that I read other than there was a Silver Surfer Green Lantern crossover book in the mid-90s, and I did read that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was familiar with the basic idea of the Green Lantern. Uh, I also watched Justice League, um, which, again, was yet another. I, I was very surprised to learn, that because I thought it was just Hal and Kyle until I later found out that, oh, there's this John Stewart guy, and oh, there's also this Guy Gardner guy, so there's four, four Green Lanterns for Earth. This is ridiculous, and there's always supposed to be, like, one per sector, but okay. Okay. You can't forget Alan Scott either. Oh, well, okay. But yeah, he's kind of, yeah, that's not really the same thing. (laughs) Oh. He has the name. (laughs) He has the name, but as they even say in the comics we read, (laughs) he's not the same. He's not part of the core. He's not different origin, different powers. But anyway. All right, all right, so here's the thing. I, I don't know much, but I think I heard at some point that Alan Scott's weakness wasn't yellow, it was wood. And that's just stupid, okay? <laughs> <laughs> 
I can accept uh, the color yellow being a weakness. No, weakness, but no, I will not take that. Picture. Oddly enough, Power Girl has the same weakness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, moving along. Moving yeah. along. <laughs> okay. Uh, that wasn't so, even a joke. That's like legit. Okay. <laughs> what does it react like? Crypto when she's near wood, she just gets weak. Uh, nat or pure natural substances, like oh. in her, like in her early days. So if somebody hit her with like a branch, like it would take uh, her. Out. Wow. <sighs> okay. The joke was already there, though. So I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I really thought it was a euphemism. I right. did. I did. <laughs> oh God. And yeah, let's not dwell on this because then we're gonna start talking about Wonder Woman's powers being like taken away by being tied up, and we don't need to. <laughs> We don't need to go there. All right. But, um, all right. So, so yeah, we, we read three comic book um, um, storylines for this. Um, we did Emerald Twilight. We did Rebirth. And we did Secret Origin. Um, I read them in chronological order, which I'm starting to think I probably should have started with Secret Origin. But, you know, it works okay either way. Um, but I read uh, Emerald Twilight first. So, um, just sort of thoughts overall on the storyline um, before we dive into the movie and how well it adapted all of this material. So, um, Will, let's start with you this time. What did you think of Emerald Twilight? I, fascinating storyline. And it's, it's one of those that it seems to be generational in a sense mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, Green Lantern. And if you don't keep up with you know, I'll, I'll, you don't have to keep it with all the elements to appreciate a good story. So if you don't catch over a crossover event, if you don't catch over aspects of it, you still enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, what I kind of appreciate about because, I, I mean, Ron Mars, when he took over books, he, like, liked to shake them up. Because he did the same thing with Silver Surfer, where, like, you know, the Silver Surfer had always been the sort of dispassionate character that was kind of like, I don't care about, like, what humanity gets up to. I kind of just watch and observe and comment. And you know kind of thought about you know something's wrong with this dude that like used to lead galactus to worlds to feed and was, was responsible for genocide that he has like no emotion about this at all and so they he revealed during his run that that's because galactus when he gave the surfer his power had actually taken away his conscience also and so once the surfer realized he had been tampered with he asked to be like restored and once he had his guilt and his conscience like it like threw him for a loop like he was like freaking out and you know he finally had all this guilt for all the lives that had died and and you know so i get this kind of like ron mars's shtick but it was kind of interesting the idea of you got this guy who's like the paragon of virtue you know who's been held up as one of the great heroes to be broken you know because usually in comics you know like oh the heroes get setbacks whatever but they always bounce right back right and so i kind of like the story just from the standpoint of you know like what happens you just break somebody by like taking away like everything their whole home city you know all their friends all the memories of family and everything just gone because they're just a crater where it used to be and uh, i found that very interesting but i co totally get why people who are very attached to the character got really upset about this well, it's easy. I mean, when you have you mess with the, the the you touch anybody's story, if you mess with anything, it, it's going to make somebody mad. And that's what's great about comics is that there's so many stories. If we knew of them all, we wouldn't be able to do anything with them. So I like the fact that you know they took on a different edge with it. So and Alan Moore, you know, hey, 
Um, so Angie, uh, as someone who came at it with like, I think the least out of all of us knowledge of the Green Lantern, what do you think about this storyline? Emerald Twilight specifically or the- yeah. Emerald Twilight. Yeah, Emerald Twilight specifically. Yeah, uh, I read Emerald Twilight first. Um, I had a very sinking feeling about this assignment after I read it. Um, I did not like it. <laughs> I did not like the art. I did not like the story. I don't, I didn't feel connected to it. It as a concept, I thought it was interesting, and I'm not going to say um, that it wasn't the first comic to kind of go with that sort of hero gets broken and becomes the villain. I mean, if I had to take a guess, I'd say that it's not the first one, but I do think there's other other places and other mediums, but even other comics that have done it better. Mm. Um, I just didn't buy it. Um, and I realized that I was coming into it cold, essentially, but the guy essentially goes evil on page one, and then, like, he's not passively being broken. He's actively going and killing all of his old friends and attacking this. Like, I don't know. I just, for me, it didn't resonate. Um, it was definitely my least favorite of the three. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I feel like it was too quick, also. I felt like there was good setup in that first issue where it was all about him, like trying to like, you know, the ring can create stuff. Like, why can't I recreate the city, you know? And like, just sort of like the idea of him being so like, 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 you know, hollow because of this, that he was trying to do something that, you know, ridiculous, you know, to try to recreate like all the people and the city itself and everything. And, 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 you know, how, you know, how, futile that was and i thought i liked that but yeah yeah i I agree that then we transitioned to i'm a i'm gonna go steal everybody's ring and you know attack the guardians really quickly all right angie did you have anything more to say Mm, probably shouldn't (laughs) okay (laughs) feel free to air whatever you want to air that's okay we'll we'll talk about it later okay all right uh eric ratcliffe what did you think about Emerald Twilight? Uh, if, if you hated this story, you would have hated the event that followed it up. Trust me. Are you talking about Zero Hour? <laughs> yes, I'm talking about Zero yeah, Hour. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with that one conceptually also because it was going on during... If, you know, if, people ha- if, if long-time fans have issues with identity crisis, they're lucky they didn't read Zero Hour. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, which actually, I will talk about identity crisis when we get to uh, when we get to rebirth for okay, just a quick second. Enough. But um, I've actually read Identity Crisis because Sean made me. So yeah, I, I we we can talk about nice. that. Okay, right. I mean it's not a perfect story, but anyways, um, sure. <laughs> uh, Emerald Twilight. I uh, what what I find interesting in it because Ron Mars is probably one of my favorite comic book writers. I'm biased towards the man. Mm. Uh, I've met him on several occasions and he's nothing but the coolest guy on the planet and just super fun to talk with. But um, in general, I mean, you could tell that the story was rushed to a certain extent because they were obviously bringing in Kyle and needed to kind of push Hale's story into this Edit, what seemed like editorial forced. I'm looking at you, Spider Marriage, because that's a perfect example to to pin this towards. Because it's like, oh, we need you know, we need Hal out of the picture. How can we get Hal out of the picture? Oh, make him into the bad guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it should be said that like all the stuff that happens in Rebirth was not like 
planned out. This was thought of, this is what we're doing with Hal, and this is, like, the new, like, normal. You know, yeah. there, there was no thought of, you know, well, we're going to redeem him sometime down the line. <laughs> so. But no, um, the thing that I find fascinating about rereading this, especially the first, the first issue and a half, mm-hmm. is just Hal's mental state and just seeing him rapidly declining and how instead of grieving his his situation is just getting worse and worse and you can just kind of see that in the dialogue and you're just wincing because you're going if you know like if if ollie was around at that point or if someone had tried to touch base with them um it's just like maybe as we'll get into with rebirth maybe parallax wouldn't have been able to drive him over the edge like he had if if somebody had reached out at this point but instead here's hell slowly snapping and going going 150 against everything that he stood for Hmm. well yeah i mean it's interesting to me because it's like it's so clear because like as he leaves scenes or whatever things fade away or whatever there's no way he could ever like maintain a city and all the people in it and like be able to do it in his mind. He's like convinced, like if I just have enough willpower, I can make this happen, you know? And so I, I, I felt for him in that issue. I, I did. I felt like that was a decent, you know, thing of just watching this person spiral down. Yep. Um, and Eric McCracken as the, as the longtime Green Lantern fan, um, I'm the, is this one that you read like at the time it was happening or, or did you read it later or what? You know, how did you come into this? I wouldn't say that I read it as it was happening, but I I definitely read it early. And uh, I have a somewhat different stance on this than everybody else. It's like I didn't really see it as so much being out of character as more of reinforcing the core values of what the character is. Uh, Like uh, Hal Jordan is all about, you know, like his willpower and his moral compass. And and then he comes to the conclusion that that the Green Lantern Corps is is evil for what for for like the core itself is evil for what it forced him to give up and how they tried to punish him for um, for for you know trying to rectify what happened to him and and you know like they step in and they're like no you can't use this for personal gain we're going to punish you for it and he's like no you're not. I I will end you, and he does. You know, like like the uh, like we all know that the the ring is fueled by willpower, and he's pretty much willpower incarnate. Like he just takes down lantern after lantern after lantern, adding to his power just to you know reach his goal, and that's and that's Hal Jordan right there. And like this is what happens when you take the character. And uh, like pull a 180, like or well, not really altering his his moral compass, but just you know giving him an unexpected target, and he's just I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I I enjoyed the arc while I was hurting for the character. You know, like you know, like how can you know somebody like this? you know, go through this. And then he's just, you know, I'm going to destroy this thing. And then he does. And 
I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I um, you know the the thing I was I was I understood what was going on, and you know in Rebirth they make a big deal about the point where he thinks he's killed Sinestro, and how that was like the thing that like allowed Parallax to really like get control. But to me, it's like when he like he when he kills Kilowog was the part where I was like, this is this is too much. Like, because he says, like, oh, everybody else where I took their rings, I didn't leave them to die. I gave them power to be able to get somewhere safe and stuff like that. So you get, like, okay, he didn't actually kill anybody. But then it's like, he kills Kilowog. And, and I don't understand how Kilowog's back in Rebirth. I'm sure some one of you can explain it to me. But, you know, uh, that was the part where I was like, okay, this is crossing a huge line. Um you know that well, there, there there was no way that he was going to be able to get out of that confrontation without killing him hmm. it's also a period you know in comics i mean the 90s are notorious for this story arc where the good guy goes bad and it was a very much a marvel thing yeah yeah no marvel marvel does like to play with the moral ambiguity quite a bit yeah it's it wasn't a dc thing I and mean, that's I, th- I think that's, uh, that's some of the blowback is that you have these noble characters that very rarely fall off the rails. Mm. And so when you saw this with Green Lantern, it's both a good shock and a bad shock. Well, like, that's kind of the thing, though, or at least how I saw it is, like, he didn't think he was going evil at the time. Like, like, like he didn't, like, or how do I say this? He, like, he wasn't like, okay, I'm evil now and I'm going to do bad things. Like, he took it into his, into the core of his belief that the Green Lantern Corps was evil and he needed to take it down. Mm-hmm. And he did what he did. Or he did what he had to do in order to accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would have, like I say, I think it could have been a longer story arc. I feel like yeah, three Yeah, four comics isn't of- enough. It's not mm-hmm. enough of that. I guess I just have to say, if you ever feel the need to change your name to something containing the letters X or Z, you probably just cross the line into being a baddie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, Rebirth, um, which I don't know that I've ever heard anything negative about. I've certainly heard about it being talked about before. Um, so... Um, why don't you start us off this time, Eric Ratcliffe? What did you think about Green Lantern Rebirth? Green Lantern Rebirth is probably top five comic book, uh, at least DC comic book um, stories for me, easily. Mm-hmm. Rebirth is one of, and easily in my top ten of all time, is just one of my favorite comic book stories ever. There's so much love and fan service and payoff and respect to majority of the characters involved in the story um and just the overall love that's poured into the story you can tell you can tell what what parts of dc that jeff johns grew up loving and like i said i was going to tie this back into identity crisis so identity crisis i think was about six or seven months before they printed Rebirth. Mm. And in Identity Crisis, there's a page where Hal as the Spectre and Ollie are having a conversation and Ollie turns to Hal and goes, so when are you coming back? And Hal flat out goes, I'm working on it. Mm. So Brad Meltzer helps set up Jeff John's story um, without any of us really knowing the, the full 
the full extent of that until rebirth started coming out and i was i was reading this issue to issue like i was this is right around right around the time that i finally started collecting comics uh again and just really reading heavily until i think about like 2012 2013 is when i stopped collecting uh monthly but mm-hmm. um right right around the end of blackest night pretty much but um no it's just from from Ollie getting love to Hal and Kyle shaking hands and respecting the hell out of each other to Sinestro getting a huge moment to Guy getting to become a Green Lantern again to every single one of the Big Lanterns getting a moment to show how they each use their rings separately to Parallax being revealed as what he is and the introduction uh slash tease of the overall lantern core as a whole because he's the first of the constructs we're really introduced to um and ganthic gets get some love and i mean the the only character that really actually suffers in the story is Batman. Yeah, I, I when you were like you can tell which characters Jeff Johns grew up loving, I'm like it wasn't Batman. <laughs> no, cuz this so this with with the additional context cuz I don't know, I don't know how much of an avid reader of of this era of comics that you know like you or Angie were, I'm sure the other guys probably were reading at this point, but um this is the era where it was right before Grant Morrison took over and it was right on the line where Bruce was being a major dick at the time. There's, there's no excuse. There's no like other way to put it. It's Bruce was flat out ultimate, like bat God. I know better than everybody else in this era of comics. And it got, it got bad for a little while before Grant Morrison took over. Hmm. We also had that just, well, I mean, he was that way in the justice league cartoon. You know, that's just how they, Batman was getting mistreated for a while. Yeah, no, I, I'm more like the fact that, like, Batman got, like, the rug pulled out from under him too many times. Like, Batman would never be confused or, you know, he would know what's going on. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> He's the guy who can pull a Green Lantern's ring off, which you shouldn't be able to do. <laughs> so, you know. Don't be human, all right? Not in this comic. In this comic, Batman's ineffectual, nope. confused, doesn't know what's going on. I, I did not like that. I did like the, I thought the art style was interesting. Where like Batman looked almost like you know like he was like a monster like always in shadow with the cape like looking like it had like horned things on the shoulders and like the the bottom of the cape was like twisting around like tendrils and stuff I was like that was like really horrific and terrifying and I thought okay that's an interesting choice for the visual style on Batman but I was like Batman is not an idiot like this but you know whatever. <laughs> Though I do love one of my fa- one of my favorite things in this story, and and it's played off for years further, is um, is Kyle and Sinestro basically have the uh, Jafar and Aladdin relationship mm. to the point that he's legitimately calling him a street rat at some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. it. I love it. Um, Angie, coming from this, probably the closest to the same place that I did, did you find this kind of dense? And what did you think about it? Um, I wouldn't say dense. Um, I actually, I really enjoyed it for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, I shared 
the problems about Batman, although I thought the art style was really cool. Um, mm. Yeah, to me, Batman, <clears throat> it, it's not that he can't be a massive dick. Uh, I think we all know he can be. But right, yeah, and I'm fine with that, yeah. The immediate jumping to conclusions, making, mm. I mean, to me, the, the animated series Batman is ultimate Batman. There's no way that guy would spout off any of the stuff that Batman said in this comic. He would, mm. he would have been thinking it over, mulling it over, and not just mouthing off constantly so i didn't like that but um other than that like i really enjoyed the art style in general um some of the artistic choices the batman one being the main one i really liked um i thought it set the tone really well um considering that like the final panels were basically all green and yellow i thought they did a really good job of kind of still differentiating <clears throat> all of the different characters with the art style so that was really impressive um the storyline uh you know Sometimes, and this is when we get there, this was a problem I think I had with the film as well, but I don't need you to explain everything. I don't need you to explain why he had Reed Richards' white streaks. Like, I don't, that didn't have to be Parallax's fault. I don't, mm. there, there's some minutia that I just like rolled my eyes at because it was so unnecessary. And to me, it almost feels insulting as a reader. Like, I get it. I can, I can put it together. I don't need you to spell out every single thing to me. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. I, um, you know, I have nostalgia, like retroactive nostalgia for Ollie because um, the Arrowverse shows that I've been <laughs> watching. Like, um, I, I thought, you know, their interactions were great. Even though I don't have any sort of background in reading these comics, I really felt their friendship. I felt the depth of their understanding of each other and caring for each other. So that was great. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really really well done frankly um and just really little nitpicks like having things over explained hmm. yeah a angie if you if you if you like the hell and uh ollie relationship here you would love uh hard traveling heroes it's a classic uh story where hell and uh ollie go uh traveling across um across america together and it's it's awesome it's like is it late 70s guys i can't remember is it late 70s early 80s yeah i believe it's late 70s okay it's really good though i'll write it down yeah um yeah i mean for me it was more of it, it was it was very kind of heavy in continuity and you know i don't know the dc characters as much so it was a bit you know, sifting through all of that. And, you know, they do explain a lot. And there was stuff I knew just from having talked with people and stuff. But, you know, it's definitely not something that's like, you know, really, really easy. Like, like when we get to Secret Origins, Secret Origins is really easy because this is like we're starting from ground zero and we're going to explain the Green Lantern to you. Um, but I did like that they like that, um, that, that the whole impetus of this was to sort of like, let's set down the rules. Because I think that, you know, there was a lot of stuff in Green Lantern mythology that I've at least read in Wizard Magazine or whatever, like was never really like explained. And, you know, he's going in there saying like, okay, like, why is there a yellow, you know, problem that they can't affect yellow? And, you know, maybe we can explain that there's even more powers than just green and yellow and kind of hint at that and everything. So I know from there on, like, there's even like red lanterns and blue and purple and orange and everything. So, hey, hey don't you dare besmirch St. Walker. I will fight you i didn't besmirch anybody i just said <laughs> that i understand that this is the way things are now and so you know i thought that was really cool that they were setting things out and even differentiate because again it's like it seems kind of silly that 
when there's supposed to be only one of these guys, there's like for the whole universe, there's only like 3,600 of these guys, but like on earth, we've got four, <laughs> you know, in all of space. You know? Six. <laughs> no, seven, seven now. Oh, is it seven now? Well, at this point, if we're four. including Alan. Okay. Well, okay. No, don't include Alan. We're talking about okay, the Green just, Lantern Corps. There's six then. There's <laughs> okay. uh, Jessica and uh, I forget the guy, the other guy's name. But it was nice for them to differentiate the four and how they use their rings differently. And I thought that that was really cool for them to have that in there. And you're looking at their backgrounds and their personalities and being like, well, of course, the architect draws things like blueprints right like he creates constructs that are like blueprints and it's they're heavily detailed and you know have all that in there because that's the way he thinks and kyle's the artist and so even as he's making his constructs he's refining them stuff like that i like that i thought that was really cool that they like gave them each personalities and how they use their rings you know it's not just we just make stuff you know they each have all that different level of you know like what what it would do because this is the thing that's controlled by your mind so of course your personality would enter into it i don't um, i don't want to bogart or take uh take away time from eric or will but real fast uh okay. real fast uh and will's being so good today and you're just like taking it okay hey you brought it you brought in the wrong green lantern expert uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling a sean tonight my bad <laughs> it's it's funny because it's true all right um but no uh so in the secret files tie in to rebirth and it also it also shows up inside of the um deluxe edition the one that has the hardback that you pull out of the like slipcase Mm -hmm. um there is an amazing darwin cook uh story where hal uh reveals that when he was a kid um his dad would take him to the base uh and basically bribe off bribe the um bribe the doorman at the at the base the security guard uh and take him on a take him on a flight mm-hmm. and then how when he got older he took carol out and then like the the wraparound part of the story is he's taking kyle for a flight mm-hmm. and it's a really fantastic story and it's like one of the real last major things that you know we saw from darwin cook art wise except for the spirit from from him before Darwin passed away. And it's this beautiful Darwin Cook story that helps center and show Hal's like characterization, which in fairness was probably missing from for a majority of 30 plus years of his comics. He didn't really start showing a personality until right before the parallax stuff. I know mm-hmm. some people will fight me on that, but like I said, it's one of those stories that I feel like while not, part of rebirth it's kind of like the the uh epilogue to rebirth because it shows that you know like here is hell kind of paying off on having his life again and sharing this experience that he's only shared with a select number of people you know that he shared with his dad that he shared with carol and now you know he he gives that nod to kyle being like you you were the torchbearer for god knows how long at this point here's something that you know like is special to me and it's such an amazing story that i highly recommend people check out it's uh like i said it's in the secret files and it's in the deluxe edition if you can get your hands on it right yeah that's what i got on comiXology was the deluxe edition so so you read it i I read that yeah yes oh that makes me happy yeah okay (laughs) um i i well 
I think I'll wait until Secret Origin to talk about something. All right, never mind. I was going to talk about it here, but I'll wait until Secret Origin. Um, but uh, Eric, um, thoughts on Rebirth? Eric McCracken. Uh, well, like you guys pretty much covered it. Like okay. uh, Rebirth is probably one of the best written story arcs in DC, not just Green Lantern. And uh, like a lot of the stuff that happened in Rebirth, like affected the rest of the DC universe. You know, like uh, mm. like when Spectre finally got released without a host. You know, like that ties into stuff that happens through Infinite Crisis, and like it just rippled across uh, across the entire you know universe at that point. Like uh, I did really like how you mentioned that. Uh, each different ring user, their constructs are are built differently. Mm-hmm. Like like with uh, uh, Stuart, he was an architect, so like you can see like all the little rivets in in his stuff, and like he's actually building things, and how, how like and like how Hal differs from Kyle and and Guy is just kind of like random, so that's mm-hmm. fun. But um, I also like how this was the like one of the first points in which they unified the, the, the green lantern oath. Mm. Like, like prior to this point, like each lantern kind of had their own oath, but then they like, here it's like, okay, like this is the oath that we're all using now. And wait, wait, was, pause. hang on. Sorry. <laughs> so be, prior to this storyline, they didn't all use that same blackest night one. Uh, they had like each one had like a variation of it. They're, like there were, uh, I would have to look them up specifically, but uh, yeah, like they were all along the same lines, but different linguistically. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and the first thing I was like, why does this rhyme in English? This makes no sense. Why? But it, it, it's cool. If the oath is personalized to everybody, then I suddenly I'm okay with that. All right. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, like uh, the relationship between Oliver and Hal, like uh, like those comics like span decades. You know, like uh, the, like those are some of my favorite comics of all time. You know, like you had basically the lawful good paladin that is Hal Jordan, and then Oliver's more like the uh, straight man of reason. Uh, I don't know. Am I saying that right? pragmatist yeah like he basically kept hal jordan grounded in reality Mm -hmm. and and you know like like just because this is right for you doesn't mean this is right for everybody and and like you can kind of feel some of that in, in rebirth in the fact that you know like when hal gave up his ring he gave it to oliver and then uh Green Arrow gets the chance to use the ring one time, yeah. and he makes an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> the I imagination mean, at work. It was yeah. what you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> in, in fairness, that arrow pi- pierced completely through Sinestro, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got to work with what you got, but I don't know. I found a special bit of humor in that. You know. And uh, Will, thoughts on Rebirth? Uh, it, it, you go through it, and you know you were all talking about how other comics weren't. This really was the epilogue for Infinite, you know, Infinite Crisis. And so, if you really want to get into like this kind of story, you really had to know your DC comics. 
like when you talk about with Spectre, there's references to the Teen Titans. There's just, there's so much. And so the, you, you kind of understand where they leave with Infinite Crisis kind of is a restart because it's one of those, this, this takes up like 60 years worth of comics here. You know, you, you're really going back and forth, well, 30 years of comics anyway at this point, but you're really going back and forth on all these storylines that if it, it's good, it's a good single read, but you really, to get that deep, le- deep level of understanding, have to go through this minutia of references and characters. And it's just, wow. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Angie. The thing with the hair was kind of silly. And you, yeah. and you know why it is, is because in the comics in the 90s, they were aging Hal up to make him, you know, be older. And, and but now that he's coming back and he's going to be a regular character, they're like, oh, we need to restore him so that, you know, he looks younger, you know, so he looks more heroic or whatever. And so they're like, we'll get rid of that and explain it as, you know, parallax. And it's just like, eh. I mean, you it's know. kind of the same thing you do with Superman and Kingdoms Come, and you just kind of have to, you gotta, you gotta do something that explains things. You know, why does this make sense? Well, it's a comic. Go with it. All right. All right. <laughs> so the thing I didn't understand, and hopefully one of you can explain it to me, in 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 uh, Emerald Twilight, all the Guardians except for Ganthet die, but at the end of Rebirth, we see Oa, and all the Guardians are alive. How how did that happen? What did I miss there? A wizard did it. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping for a better explanation because that's the thing. Because they even mentioned in Rebirth that like Ganthet is the last of the Guardians or whatever, but then we see them all alive on Oa, and I'm like, wait, what? What happened there? I I feel like they pay off on it in the core series by uh, the Green Lantern core series by Tomasia. Um, I could be wrong because it's been it's been a little while since I've read like right after Rebirth, mm. um, but I know there were a couple there were a couple things I paid off on in both the the main series and the core series, and I think that was one of them because I know Ganthet was like helping helping Kyle when he could because Kyle really was the torchbearer for mm. uh, what like ten, 12 years I think give or take. Yeah, because that was 1993, and uh, and then Rebirth was like 2004, so like yep. yeah, uh, like 11 years. Yeah, I, uh, Kyle was the Green Lantern. Uh, Kyle, when he was at Ion, uh, restored the central battery, and that and that restored Oa and the Guardians. Oh, okay. Thank you, Eric. Eric McCracken. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, Secret Origin. Um, you know, this was good as a prime. Like I say, I knew the basics of, you know, alien Abensor crashes to earth. He dies. Ring chooses Hal Jordan, who is a pilot. You know, I knew all of that stuff. I knew it even before the Green Lantern movie and all that. But I didn't know any of the other, like, I knew that Sinestro had been a Green Lantern and had become evil later and, and some of that kind of background. But, like, Hector, like, the first time I ever heard of him was in the movie. Like, I had never even heard of that character or anything. So this was, like, a nice thing to, like, just give me a real grounding in the origin of Hal. And I know, I, I suspect that a lot of this was stuff that was new. That's why they call it Secret Origin. Um but uh, but I was glad to sort of get like the background for the character. So um, let's start with you this time, Angie. What did you think about Secret Origin? Um, <clears throat> Secret Origin, I think, was my favorite of the three. Um, probably just, I think if I had more DC history, I might have gotten more out of Rebirth, you know, seeing everybody interact. But since I don't really, just mm-hmm. in terms of a self-contained storyline, I think Secret Origin was the best 
Um, you know, I really liked the portrayal of the characters. Um, I really liked Carol, um, how she was portrayed. And I, I love the fact that how was kind of a screw up and they didn't pull any punches about it. Like, mm-hmm. um, kind of similar to, uh, Dr. Strange in the MC, in the MCU where they don't really pull any punches about the fact that the guy was an asshole. Like, yeah, he's talented. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, got this thing he's great at. And that's kind of why people put up with him, but he's a screw up and a jerk. Um, and, and so I, I, you know, I, I find that very refreshing because it, it starts to off with an understanding of a character that is very flawed and gives them somewhere to go versus being this kind of like, um, I don't know what the word I'm like, Captain America-esque good there guy. This needs to be given the body to match his beautiful soul or whatever. So, <laughs> and I love Captain America. That that comes from a place of love. But I, I find <laughs> characters who are jerks a lot more interesting. Um, and so I, I really liked, I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, you know, Hector, since you brought him up, was kind of a problem for me. I guess it just seemed a little bit too simplistic, right? So you've got Hal who's interacting with this alien and becomes a Green Lantern and a superhero. And then you've got this other guy who gets infected and they just kind of, well, you're a villain, so we treat you like a villain. Like it's, it's almost like there's no empathy there whatsoever by anybody for this guy when it's not exactly his fault. Well, um, to be well, fair, though, they It they was showed... worse in the movie where he was way more sympathetic. Right, right. Cause <laughs> and about they, to... didn't, they didn't treat him any better there. <laughs> Right, yeah, because that's what I was about to say is, like, in the comic, though, they made sure that you knew that even as a human, he was a scum. Like, before all this happened, he was a scumbag. So, yeah, because jerks deserve to be infected by aliens. Well, I, mean, I, I get what you're saying. It, it's but, No, the ugly do, apparently. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's not necessarily you have to be much of a jerk, but apparently it's the classic DC. The, the villains just are ugly, and the, you know, the good guys are all good-looking. He's like, hey, yes, we're good-looking. Oh, look at that. That's evil. <laughs> yes, why? It's it's ugly. It must be nice to live in such a world. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. But I'm sorry. Did you have I'm sorry for interrupting you, Angie. No, that, I mean that that's basically it. I'm I'm actually more curious to hear what everyone else has to say since it's this this is the only origin that I'm aware of. So, um mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested to see if it differ how much it differs from the original storyline. Yeah. I mean, I know all the stuff where they were setting up Blackest Night was probably new because that was like a storyline they were going into was the Blackest Night, so they wanted to set up that. That's what Abin Sur was was working on. I did like I did like that they explained why Abin Sur was in a spaceship because that's something I never thought about. But as soon as the Green Lanterns were like, why was he in a spaceship? He's got a ring. I was like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. <laughs> of course, like, that doesn't make sense. So I'm glad that they that they gave an explanation for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so will let's, let's go to you next. Uh, what did you think about secret origin? Well, you know, it's funny is it's it, like you said, it feels like it's not really a secret because you knew it you right. know, before you read the comic. It's kind of what we, you know, we didn't know all the elements that we get in the comic, but I, everything we just said is like, it's all the stuff I knew about Green Lantern. It, mm-hmm. It's what I know about Green Lantern and it, it's, it's good to get a little more depth there. But it, it's not like, hey, I needed it, it. It changed my way of looking at things. It's just, it, it really is a kind of a, a throwback to the classic comics. You know, it, it really has that th- throwback feel. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that I don't think that I've that I've mentioned yet or anyone's really touched on much is uh, I really like Sinestro's portrayal in this. Right. Because I always like, like, I liked it in the Doctor. It's funny that Angie compared or was talking about Doctor Strange when talking about this because it's one of the things I like about the Doctor Strange film, too, is that they created a friendship between Strange and Mordo that never existed in the comics, but right. makes things so much more fun it knowing that... Right, knowing that Mordo will become a villain to have them start out as friends. And not, and, just, not just friends, but, I mean, that whole mentor relationship, they really right. did rip it for, right out of uh, Green Lantern. Right. It's like, here, we're going we're gonna to steal, steal the mentor slash buddy, you know, is corrupted concept. But it's such, it's, yeah, it, it, straight on point. Good job. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean. I feel, I feel so validated. Uh, <laughs> But, but but yeah, I mean, so, so, so the idea, though, of Sinestro, I've always found to be a very interesting one, because his problem wasn't that he was uh, bad. It was that if you're anyone familiar with D&D, he was lawful neutral. It was like he, he imposed law and order, you know, it's like he didn't care about like necessarily helping people. He just made sure that everything was like orderly. And, and so that I feel like that's very interesting in that, that it was just that he was so harsh in his, you know, in his policies. And that's what was the thing that turned everyone against him, which then led to him becoming evil. And so, so I find that fascinating. Um, so you. You know what the towards the very at the very end of this arc when Atrocitus is telling uh, Sinestro about how his world is going to become what it's going to become. Mm-hmm. That is the tease and hint at when Sinestro pretty much goes full fascist when he goes mm-hmm. back to his planet, but mm-hmm. kind of manages to go under the radar with it, and it's not discovered until we saw the tease of the dialogue when he's like, "Next time you're coming to my planet." Hal mm-hmm. discovers this, and that's that's the reason that you know Sinestro kind of gets kicked out of the kicked out of the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. So it was a tease at the fact that you know, like he he reverts to fascism because he thinks that's the best way that's going to save his world from what Atrocitus is uh, has teased to him. But uh, it's right. it was kind of interesting to see that tease. So he's not necessarily not lawful neutral so much as he kind of goes way to the extreme after a certain point like if he was lawful neutral he would have cut it cut it off without going to that extreme it's the greek tragedy aspect of all these things that atrocitus tells people they believe and then that leads to the thing that atrocitus it's just like with abin sur and the ring like like don't trust your ring it'll fail you and it's because he didn't trust his ring that that you know the bad stuff happened and it's the same thing with with uh, sinestro yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a classic English trope. Um, you know, what's funny is that in this and in the movie, the only thing really good, or not say the only thing in the comic, but the great thing out of both is the is Sinestro. You you love the character coming out. With, even though if you know he's going to be a bad guy, you enjoy the character. And I, I thought, honestly, it's one of the few shiny moments to me of the movies yeah. is that, that relationship those two have. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm going to get back to that when we talk about the movie. Sorry, I didn't... didn't no, just... no, it's fine. No. Uh, Eric, since you started talking, what did you think about Secret Origin? It's a it's a very strong arc, and it's probably actually... I wouldn't say one of my favorite arcs of the entire series, because like it was basically set up into the uh, 
into being introduced to basically all of the uh, all of the different cores when it comes to the Green Lanterns, whether it be the Blue Lanterns with Saint Walker or the Red Lanterns, which obviously are teased heavily with Atrocitus here. But I thought it's it's a very it was a very interesting way to kind of like show us Hal's past without retreading his past if that makes sense because mm-hmm. we get to we get to learn about a character like atrocitus who's fantastic and then you get to see more of hell and uh hell and uh sinestro's relationship and i mean how you even get like four or five things that were that were teased and foreshadowed in rebirth kind of paid off in this specific arc that we didn't get to see you know for almost three years in the in the series because this is almost three years into the ongoing at this at that point but um but i i love ivan ray's artwork a lot and it's um i kind of out of all the characters in this in this arc, I feel like I would have liked to have seen uh, Tomar a little bit more. I feel like he was kind of mm. underused. Like I really like Hal and Sinestro's relationship, but then you barely you barely see Kilowog, and then you only get a tiny bit of uh, Tomar in here. And I th- and he's definitely one of my favorite lanterns. So it's kind of a bummer to kind of not see the uh, spotlight on his relationship with Hal. And then obviously you get like a tease to Salak, but you. You never see Salak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there it's just like the amount of space they had and what they thought was the important stuff to convey. And I think that that stuff with Sinestro, they definitely wanted to prioritize my, over his training, which they kind of like glossed through fairly quickly. My personal favorite scene in this in this whole arc is Hell's speech to the Guardians. I thought that was probably one of the... Uh, one of the strongest written things inside of the uh, inside of the whole arc. I really love that speech and Sinestro even kind of like taking a step back when Hal starts speechifying, going, "Okay, I'll, I'll let him do this. I'll see how this plays out." <laughs> mm. Wow. Um, I thought it was kind of silly that they didn't that they used to forbid Green Lanterns from working together, but that's a whole other. <laughs> I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Um, all right, and so Eric McCracken, what do you think about Secret Origin? Uh, again, you guys have pretty much said it all. I mean, like it's a decent, uh, it's a decent story. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite mm. or anything. Is and yeah, why is it called Secret? Because it really didn't reveal anything that we didn't already know, except for maybe the degree to which Hal was a dick. <laughs> well, wait, all that stuff with Atrocitus was that known before? Or was that no. new? That was new. Well, yeah, yeah, that was new. So there's that. But uh, like the big question that 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 like especially this series and the movie does kind of bring up is like, how does a person named Sinestro get into that position? <laughs> well, maybe in his language, yes. Sinestro doesn't sound He's like the word guy. sinister. <laughs> Coward. Okay, gosh. <laughs> it's it's just coincidence that in English it sounds like sinister. <laughs> and the mustache that was definitely <laughs> and, and, like there like, weren't I, signs. Okay. <laughs> For like, all we I, know, he was named after a famous comedian on his world. We don't know. I remember thinking this exact uh-huh. thing when I was younger and first getting into it. It's like, okay, this guy's name is 
is Sinestro and he's the bad guy. And okay. I was like, wait, he used to be a good guy and his name is <laughs> Sinestro. Like this guy, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it would be like if Marvel was like, Oh yeah. A uh, long time ago, Mr. Sinister used to be a good guy. <laughs> and, and like, here's his story. Yeah. He was Mr. Friendly. He just changed his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 1960s <laughs> sci-fi names tended to be very on point. Well, what Sinestro dates back, were, gosh, from the beginning, right? I mean, he's... Yeah, he's didn't, didn't, didn't the HAL version of Green Lantern debut in the 60s? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, because I think it was Alan Scott before that, right? It was Alan Scott, yeah. I just didn't know if Sinestro was with... I, I thought Sinestro may be older, though. No, I think that I think Sinestro is from from the Hal run. Okay, I wasn't sure. I was just double checking. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I'd, I I don't know that for sure, but I believe that is the case. Yeah, first appearance, uh, Green Lantern Volume Two, nineteen sixty one. Okay, yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Power of the internet. There you go. <laughs> but I, but I mean, nobody's trusting Atrocitus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but Atrocitus was super ugly. <laughs> yeah well, he, well, well see that's the thing with sinestro he's only come back and come over ugly you know he's not no 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 like the original sinestro i mean the bright red skin aside had that right. widow's peak and the nobody that, and, and nobody that has a widow's peak is a good person <laughs> <laughs> oh no i've been discovered no i mean i used to have one you know going bald to care of it <laughs> well there you go <laughs> yeah i mean uh so eric talked about so eric mccracken just mentioned something that i did want to talk about about how being a jerk and 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 we're gonna segue into the movie from this but that's one of the things where i most clearly sort of you know looked at this and the way al beha- or how behaved especially with you know women and stuff like that where i was like I almost think that, you know, I know some people had some trouble with Hal's portrayal in the movie as not being like he is in the comics, but if he was this much of a misogynist in the movie, like no audiences were ever going to love him. Right. You know? So it's like, I kind of get like why they changed and tweaked aspects of his character. And, you know, I, I think that they couldn't have made him like note perfect to the comics you know, or he would have come off as being like, you know, a jerk. And and, they- and it just wasn't, it just also is the fact that you, you weren't going to get that out of Brian Reynolds at the time. I mean, you know, it just, again, we'll get the movie part later, but yeah, you couldn't have that misogyny, you know, crossover to the big screen then. You couldn't have done anything. It'll, it'll come across like a 50s, 60s serial at that point. Oh, you weren't going to get a proper Hal Jordan betrayal out of Ryan Reynolds, no matter what. Right, right. <laughs> Probably because Hal, uh, because Ryan Reynolds is not Hal, but Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's talk about the movie now. Let's jump into it. And Eric, since you've been talking after everyone, you know, I, I, Eric McCracken, I want you to get first word on the movie here. So, um, you know, I did ask everybody to watch the director's cut just because I hadn't seen it and I was pretty sure none of you had seen it, and I just wanted to see how it changed things. I don't think it really changed much. It added a little bit of background detail, um, but I don't think it really changed much. But, you know, so what What was your opinion of the Green Lantern film and how well, you know, so, so like I said, we want to talk about it in two things. How good was it as a movie, divorcing yourself from your love of Green Lantern, and how good was it as, 
you know, an adaptation of the Green Lantern story. Uh, well, as a movie, uh, I didn't really have a problem with it. It was, you know, like your average blockbuster popcorn eating movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like as long as you didn't take too much of the lore or anything to heart, you know, like if you just sat down and enjoyed it, it wasn't that bad. The CG was uh, not. <laughs> yeah, I think they made a mistake by making the costume CG. I will yes. say that. Uh, I swear, with Ryan Reynolds wearing that mask, he looked like Will Ferrell. And that, oh my gosh, I just saw. Oh my gosh. And that and and that unnerved me on a personal level, but you know, like like as long as you can forgive that, uh, it was an okay movie. I think the highlights of that movie definitely included Mark Strong's performance as uh, Sinestro. Yes. Like, yes. He, he was phenomenal in that character. Uh, still, I have no idea how you get to be a good guy with a name like Sinestro, but <laughs> he, but, 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 but he At least he's the jerk, right? <laughs> he's the well, jerk. Green Lantern Corps. And the movies took it even one step further because, like, in the comics, it's like, oh, yeah, so Sinestro, he's the greatest of the Green Lanterns. The movies almost made it seem like he's, like, the commander of the Green Lanterns. You know, like, it's like the he's Guardian. He's the, the core. Yeah. yeah I mean- right. Right. So he's the one, like, giving speeches to everybody and everything. So it's like he's, like, the head of everything. And so, yeah, it was. Well, like, yeah. even in the comics, he, he was seen as, as, like, the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like not really the commander, but definitely the best of the core. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he kind of resented that uh, Hal seemed to be usurping his place. Yeah, no, I liked in the comics where it's like he was telling everyone, like, as he met them, I am the greatest Green Lantern. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> just try to tone it down just a little bit. You are you telling tell me or are you telling you? Right. Well, it was almost <laughs> like the Danny Rand thing, you know, like, I am the immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> it wasn't as long, but it was like how Danny felt a need to tell everyone he met. You know? <laughs> this is By my name way. and these are my titles. You will listen to them all. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> but uh like 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 as a movie it was okay as an adaptation though it was really disappointing almost more disappointing than hal was to the guardians (laughs) all right so so elaborate on that why was it disappointing to you as an adaptation Uh, oh the main thing is just or at least the main thing for me is ryan reynolds cannot play Hal Jordan. Uh, I think he would have made a better Kyle Rayner just because of, you know, that's the kind of comedy that, that Ryan's used to putting out. Mm -hmm. But he, like, he just isn't serious enough. Like, uh, it, it, it was a total mismatch. Like, like I, it, it broke my suspension of disbelief. More. But I didn't find, and, and, and other people can jump in here, you know, but I didn't find Ryan Reynolds to be playing the silly character he normally played. I think, I felt like he was, he was playing Hal pretty straight and pretty straight. I mean, there were a few things like when his buddy comes over and wants to see the ring and they do that little comedy moment of him trying to like, you know, power up and it doesn't work and you know, all that. But, but I mean, I didn't feel like it was a very silly no, I don't think it was a solid portrayal. That's, I think that's the biggest problem, though, is that you go into that movie 
you know, with Ryan Reynolds and he, he, known for his quips, his little off takes, and you, you you see as if they set up for the joke, but they never follow through. Hmm. And I think that okay, if I'm going to go into why, I, the, you know, the movies, I I don't think it's a great. I didn't think it was that great of a popcorn film because it really it was just so boring. Hmm. It, it, the the action was so it was so, it, it was so close to being a PG movie. It just didn't have any. I don't know oomph to it. It, it 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 didn't it didn't strike well on any note. It wasn't it wasn't a great action movie. It wasn't a good comedy. It wasn't it wasn't a good comic book movie. It really wasn't that good at sci-fi. So it's one of those things. It's mediocre on all levels. So there you go. It's just mediocre at best. By by popcorn movie, I meant the popcorn was the best part. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant like some blockbuster kind of you know popcorn movie. No, no, you went for the popcorn oh, and, and okay, got the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta say, uh, I liked it a lot better the first time I saw it in the theaters. Um, I watched it this time. I, I get a little bit of that boredom with it, and I think that's just because I knew what to expect this time, and right. I've also seen, you know, Infinity War and Endgame and all that, which at the time, you know, you gotta think, like, Marvel was, like, this was, like, contemporaneous with, like, Captain America, you know, like that's that's about the stream of time that we're at here. So I mean, Marvel hadn't done anything so super spectacular yet. It was not, you know, it, it yeah, they had a, a chance. few movies. This, this is this is the shot in the foot to the DC universe, mm-hmm. and that's what's really the most disappointing because it's one of my favorite. Again, one of my favorite DC characters is Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and it, it just kills me. That's the character they did it on. And again, I, to go back to casting, to me, the person who they should have done it, and the, and it was rumored at you know at one point. Would have been to, at the time another young leading man that would have been perfect would have been uh, Nathan Fillion. Mm. I don't think he was young even then, but he would have been fine. I mean, he's, he's right off the heels of Firefly at this point, so I mean. Well, I mean, he he has played Hal. Yeah, he does the voice. And oh, so, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. like I was thinking that uh, uh, Jake Gallenhall. Gallenhall. Uh, I can never pronounce his name right, but oh, I no, thought that. <laughs> Like, I thought he would have been a good hell. Yeah, that's another Chris, good one. Chris Pine would have been a good hell. Oh, hmm. yeah. Captain Well, Captain America. I mean, yeah, come on. No, yeah. Pine. Oh, Pine. Sorry, yeah. Pine. Sorry. Yeah, Eric, Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Eric McCracken was mentioning that that Ryan Reynolds should have been Kyle, but he was too old to be Kyle. I mean, no. that's kind of the problem. Like, Ryan Reynolds is like, he's not the right fit for hell necessarily, and he's too old to be Kyle, really. I mean, that would maybe he would have been a better guy. I don't know. I thought Guy Gardner, yeah. Guy Gardner, Sean William Scott, um, <laughs> Kyle Rayner. Uh, have you ever seen anything that Jim Sturgis is in? Across the Universe, 21. Um, trying to think of what else he's been in. Fantastic actor. I mean, he's a little, he's about like 10 years older at this point than, but if you ever get the chance, watch either Across the Universe or 21, and you'll see exactly who could have played Kyle Rayner. The, toughest one is always alan scott in my opinion but like i said if you wanted a hal jordan i mean even even someone like jensen Eccles would have been a fantastic uh hal jordan hmm. but you know, like i like i mentioned uh, disappointment earlier and like uh, another big disappointment was was parallax i, I mean I, I mean, it looked better than Galactus did in, that, in the Silver Surfer movie, but only yeah. by a little. A little that, bit. That's damning with faint praise. <laughs> that that that's like that's like you know that that's so yeah. It's just uh, Galact. It's Galactus with a face. 
And yeah. you're like, didn't you learn the fox lesson? Yeah, I, I guess they were trying not to scare kids by not making it look like that horrible insect-looking thing that it is. Yeah, in, but that uh, was such a cool design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, but that's the only but explanation I can Marvel give for missing, it. I mean, not Marvel. It's DC missing its, you know, the DC, you know, Warner group missing its audience. You know, I don't know. I, I, you know, I took my kids. To, I mean, my son and I went and saw Iron Man when he was little, but I wasn't going to see Iron Man because it's a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, you've got the tone already, and we need them. I mean, Superman and the Dark Knight and all these have just come out, and they're adult-oriented, and they made a fortune. Um, So, Eric, we haven't heard from you. Eric Ratcliffe, we haven't heard from you yet. I'm going to make that mistake for the whole podcast. Uh, Eric Ratcliffe. I have been making that mistake for the whole podcast. I mean, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, what what did you think about the movie overall? (sighs) Hey, at least it's not Catwoman. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Okay, okay. Can we at least admit that there's like a whole other level here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Green yeah. Lantern. X-Men 3, the Phoenix yeah. film. Yeah, Electra, Catwoman. Electra. <laughs> Come on. So to- to self to self plug, if you want to hear about a terrible comic book movie and the train wreck that that became, because that thing, that speaking Catwoman, if you go back and listen to my interview with John Rogers from God knows how many years ago at this point, but um. It, that movie had been in production since Michelle Pfeiffer appeared in in Batman. <laughs> That's how long the Catwoman movie was in production for, and how much of a train wreck it became. I took First, Beth to see Catwoman with me as a date, and I'm surprised that we ended up together. <laughs> still, yeah, right? That's in the divorce but, papers, okay. right? <laughs> if if you really want to talk about production issues, since we're talking about Green Lantern. If you can, next time you're Googling and, you know, are possibly bored and have the time to read a script, the original Green Lantern script was written by Mark Guggenheim. You know Mark Guggenheim, the producer of the Arrowverse. (laughs) If you read that script... Was there an island? Yeah. No, was no, he stuck no. on a deserted planet for five years? <laughs> no, 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 no. Five minutes, you go back to it? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I would usually love these jokes, but I mean, do you guys really want to hear this instead of me? <laughs> sure. It's training day in space. Oh, okay. It's Sinestro being the Denzel Washington character. So you still would have had Jeffrey Rush. You still would have had Mark, Mark Strong. You still would have had whoever they got to play is Hal in this alternate universe because Ryan Reynolds is not Hal. Um, and you still, you know, you still would have had Michael Clark Duncan as, as um, Kilowog because those three are probably the best casting out of this whole movie is Jeffrey mm-hmm. Rush, Michael Clark Duncan and Mark Strong. Those three were fantastic as the core members that they are. I mean, that Tom Ray, uh, Kilowog and Sinestro are perfectly cast for this film. But the original Mark Guggenheim script is literally Training Day in Space, where you where you see Hal kind of kind of perk his ear up and be like, "There's something wrong with this guy," but I can't figure out what. Mm. Like you can kind of see that in Secret Origin. It's it's similar to that, where like you could tell that that Sinestro takes these extremes, but no one is kind of going, "Okay, what's going on with this guy?" Mm. But if you get the chance to read that original script, it is very much, and that that's. That's the main issue with this movie, where where if you ignore the adaption, just like something like um Keanu Reeves, uh, Keanu Reeves Constantine, it's a very fun movie, but it is not Constantine. If you watch this movie and just go, oh, this is a fun movie, 
but then you go, wait, this isn't Green Lantern. Why why is Green Lantern spending 80% of his time on Earth? What what is this? Hmm. All right, we're going to come back to that because I, I want to talk about like ways this movie could have gone. But um, Angie, what did you think about the movie? Oh, I am I am so interested that everyone is talking about the casting being the huge problem um, because I, based on the Secret Origin comics that we read, I don't think Ryan Reynolds is bad casting. However, I don't know that he could have helped. I don't know that he could have become like the Justice League version of Hal Jordan in future movies. I don't know that Ryan Reynolds can be that serious that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just this film, I don't think the casting was the big problem. I, I think it's so. It's almost paradoxically that they were so slavishly adherent to the source material that they wouldn't let the movie just be a, a movie on its own. But everything was so much mismatched to that original material that it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that really was a triumph with these Marvel films is that, yeah, they, they changed a lot from the comics, a, a ton in some cases. But the movies were never pigeonholed into this is the tone of the comic. It must follow this. This is the personality type. You cannot stray from this. You know, they, they gave their, they trusted their actors. They trusted their directors enough to give them some wiggle room. And that made the films kind of alive up in, you know, in a vacuum. They, they weren't dependent solely on people who loved the comics going and seeing them and, and kind of giving things a pass. They worked on their own level. And I feel like with Green Lantern, they just didn't give anybody any leeway to do anything. It, it had to be, they tried to shoehorn it into what they thought that the tone had to be. And it just didn't work because Ryan Reynolds couldn't be that Hal. And, you know, the, the supporting cast didn't really fit that mold. And the, you know, the CGI was too ambitious for what was there. You, you hear these stories about things like Avatar or whatever, where they create the technology, even, even Pixar, they create the technology to do something that they wanted to do in the film that wasn't possible. Star Wars, and I mean. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fantastic. And I feel like this film just didn't even attempt it. They were like, yeah, we can just CGI something in there. And it wasn't good. But you know, there wasn't... It just didn't seem like it was anybody's labor of love, I guess, and it really showed. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you because it's clear that they took a lot of this from Secret Origin. My issue is that what they seemed to do was they took Secret Origin and Rebirth and smushed them together and tried to do something that was, okay, we're going to do Hal's Origin, but then we're going to take this stuff that is so reliant on this character having 50 years of backstory and try to smush all that in there too in a single movie. See, I actually disagree with Eric about like, oh, this should have all been in space. I actually think first movie should have been completely earthbound. Yes. Thank have, you. Him, yeah, yeah. have him find out about the rest of the core at the end of the movie and make that the sequel so that it's like, yeah, you're establishing Hal, you're establishing who Hal is, give him an Earth-based villain so you can have like a regular, you know, just a story, an origin story, and then open it up to the cosmos. Even just do him and Sinestro. I mean, right. if you'd have just given us a clear bad guy that you cared about, Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I mean, I, again, nothing against the, the actor, but the Parallax character in the movie is horrid. Mm-hmm. And it's this corporate, it's, it's, it's got all the tones of, of an Iron Man wannabe. Yeah, you know, I mean, got- because the thing that made 
Parallax interesting in the comics, besides like Eric Ratcliffe mentioned the, the cool design, was that it had possessed Hal and made him do things. Right. That he shouldn't have done. This was just a big space cloud monster that just sucked like people's souls out or whatever. That's right. not very interesting. And, and like the Green Lantern isn't like Spider-Man where we've had five or six of his right. origin stories are he isn't like Batman where there's been where there's been a lot of media discussing his his origin you don't story. all know his origin you're right you don't all know Green Lantern's origin by heart it's not the Uncle Ben story it is not the the, the you know Superman lands on earth it's not those things you could have so easily done this right and, and like like I know a lot of people complain that that we do too many origin stories, but this is a character that legitimately needed it. Like he he's not like Green Lantern is not really a household name. I mean, I, yeah, he's famous, but uh, like like he like he's not Superman. He's not Batman. Mm-hmm. He's not Spider Man. Like he's obscure enough that an origin story is warranted. Yeah, I mean, bringing it back to Doctor Strange again, that's the same thing I said about Doctor Strange. I'm like, I know everyone's sick of origin stories, but Doctor Strange is a character that needs it because this is not a well-known character. People don't know him. And yeah, it's the same thing with Green Lantern is they they needed that. But yeah, I mean, I think, here's the funny thing. Like, like Angie says, I agree that they were slavish to certain aspects of secret origin that it was like almost right off the page like when Kilowog shows up like i think it's the exact same lines of dialogue even from when he's training how in the comics and it's like they want to pull these like moments wholesale from the comic but then like completely take them out of context and merge them in with this material that didn't really go with it so it was this weird mishmash I mean, I think people have mentioned this before. The problem with DC movies is that they're movies made by committee. And I think that kind of shows here where everyone had their thing that needed to get in there and there was no cohesive sort of vision on it. If you've ever heard Ryan Reynolds talk about his time with this movie, like he, he like he bashes it constantly. And that's not mm. something that you really see from actors. You know, like even if like a movie was bad or they didn't have any fun making it, you know, like they still kind of like they still try to kind of promote it or or, or sell it because mm-hmm. it was a labor of their uh, of their passion but ryan's just like no f that movie i <laughs> well i mean what i was gonna get to is that in this one you also have i mean they're you can see that they're trying to universe build right from the beginning i mean you introduce amanda waller mm-hmm. bye why? <laughs> right. What a criminal misuse of Angela Bassett. I hate everything right. about that. I mean, honestly, well, I, what I, a what a criminal misuse of the character of Amanda Waller too. She just gets thrown around a whole bunch. And, and Ken it? Robbins is really just doing a bad impression of um, C. C. Oh, what's his, uh, of Jeff Bridges in Iron Man. I mean, mm-hmm. he's it's such a it's such an over everything is. Like I said, I don't think they picked the audience. They didn't know. Hey, this is going to be aimed at X generation. Mm-hmm. This is gonna, because at least with. The Marvel films, there's some, there is something for everyone, but it is still more adult-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, this one is it's just like we're going to bounce back and forth. We're going to have all these older characters that everyone knows and loves, but we're going to tell it like we're telling it to a three-year-old. Well, oh, one wow. thing that I thought was ironic, knowing that they got together, is I felt like zero chemistry between Carol and Al. Oh, like, right? Have <laughs> like, married this long? <laughs> right. It's like, this is the movie that got them together, but I'm feeling zero out of them. <laughs> like, I, I get, I like, like, when she's like, just basically like shutting him down and everything, I kind of believe it. I'm like, oh yeah, she's not interested anymore. You had your chance a long time ago. There's no actual chemistry anymore. 
<laughs> you broke up with Scarlett Johansson for her? Well, well, that's a whole other. No, I'm joking. I mean, I mean, the fact that, that you have. I mean, there's not like it's not like a uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith where you see the chemistry between Brad Pitt and you know. And, and Angelina Jolie, you're like, wow, yeah, I understand why they. I, mean, I see they, these two couldn't keep their hands off each other. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, for for as much as everyone hates Daredevil, I think that the chemistry between oh, um, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner was palpable. In oh, that movie. yeah, yeah, you know why they're together. You're like, right. oh, J Lo, I see what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I get. I think it's just the movie not letting the not trusting the actor. Exactly. Really, you. Blake Lively just seems tired the whole time. Like, mm. it's almost like they told her, like, you're supposed to be exasperated. No, stop. You're supposed to be exasperated. Like, it's like she was not given any room to do anything except for be his mom yeah. the entire film. And well, that's a huge the, turnoff to everybody involved. If you look at who all they considered, Bradley Cooper, Jared Leto, and Justin Timberlake, they had to go with Ryan Reynolds. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, Cooper may have been able to pull it off. I mean... I don't know. At the time, he was just you know the straight up comedy guy. Mm-hmm. After seeing Limitless, I think I think Bradley Cooper could have done it. No, I'm saying he could have. It's it's. I'm saying at the timeline, the time wise, he hadn't hit a serious note yet. No. Um. Yeah. I. I... <sighs> you want to talk about a movie not trust, not trusting its actors to at least to like handle the handle the stuff they're given. You guys know who Parallax was, right? Clancy Brown. Yeah. Oh. Can you tell that it was Clancy Brown? No. no. Exactly. <laughs> and that's a distinctive voice. I should be able to tell that it's Clancy Brown when he speaks. Yeah. And oh. you couldn't because they over overmodulate that voice oh. to the point that you would have to have subtitles on to understand it half of the time. And you're talking about just such a, an awesome voice to be just abused and misused. Yep. Oh. Talk so, talk about, you know, something not trusting its cast. So, so, but I, here's here's something I'm interested. In. I'm hearing it. Everybody interested in hearing everybody discuss. Could the Hal and Carol relationship, as depicted in the comics, worked in a movie in 2011? Not without a bunch of people crying foul. Yeah, it's very tropish. First of all, you know the whole thing of the 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 ice woman. You know, that's like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be romanced by you, scumbag, you know, but that eventually she just succumbs to his charms and everything. It's like, it's very, it's kind of misogynist. It's, you know, it's been done to death, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of issues with that. Yeah, she's not as damsel in distress, though, as other, you know, if you look at, you know, mm-hmm. like Superman. Lois Lane yeah. is your classic damsel in distress. And yes, she gets better written as, you know, as the time, you know, as the 70s, 80s, and 90s coming along. But early on, I mean, you're talking about a trope. <laughs> so. Well, no, no, no. I, I agree. I think for the time, like, if, if that's what Carol was like in the 60s, right. she was definitely a progressive character because she's in charge of the business. Yep. You know, I mean, like, she, she's got some real authority. She's holding things together all on her own. Like, that, I, I like it from that standpoint. It was interesting that they chose, though, in the movie to make her, you know, like, her dad's still fine. She's yeah. working for him, and she's still a pilot. Yeah. You know, and so, and so it's like, in some ways, they took her back. Right. Yeah. To make her and Hal equals, but then they made Hal such the dominant force in the in the way like she she only kind of passively relates to Hal who is like the you know and so it's like they took away a lot of her thunder which made it 
also not good, but in a completely different... I don't know. I just felt like, well, I think that the comic, like adapting the comic wouldn't have worked. I feel like what they did with it was also wrong. I feel like they had the seed of something really cool and interesting by fleshing out, um, by adding Hector to their childhood and having the two of them as children and that, mm -hmm. that dynamic. Because, I mean, let's face it, as an adult, generally speaking, you're not an, like a, you're not a stoic loner unless you've got some trauma. And so the fact that they have this shared trauma is kind of your way around the, the more troublesome aspects of their relationship, I guess, mm -hmm. because she, she's the ice queen because of this trauma. He's a jackass because of his trauma and they can kind of both, because it's a shared trauma, forgive each other. Um, and then they had this perfect opportunity to like show some empathy for poor Hector but no, they squandered all of that in every single aspect. So it's it's almost more insulting that they included that that kind of early origin portion because they could have done so much with it and they just didn't. No. You know, we, we dance around a lot of actors, you know, for the part. Ben Affleck, if he hadn't have done Daredevil, might have been the perfect Hal Jordan. Because mm. he's yep. got that, 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 that quip of humor, but at the same time, very serious and stoic. Mm -hmm. I... Like, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between this movie and uh, Justice League. Yes. Where, where it's just like they, like they didn't really have a target they were aiming for, either that or they had a target, but they were shooting with a shotgun and <laughs> at range. <laughs> As, like, they have great source material, they have a lot of ideas, and and they're and they're trying to give them all to us but they're not doing it in a coherent or enjoyable manner hmm. yeah no i i definitely see where you're going with that um i guess i just didn't hate justice league as much as i hate green lantern <laughs> well yeah that's what i was about to say I, I don't feel as bad about justice league though um you know i i it might not have been a good adaptation of those characters, but I, I definitely enjoyed that movie. And I definitely feel like they reformed Superman quite a bit from Man of Steel and BVS, um, which was definitely needed. Um, so, Eric, yeah, we've been kind of, uh, Ratcliffe, we've been talking a bit about, you know, what we would do, you know, or, or where we think this movie went wrong and things we would fix. Like, what what do you think, you know, could have been done, like tweaks that could have been done to the movie to make it work a lot better? You get you get an actor of the caliber of Jeffrey Rush, and you have him in a total of like what five minutes of this movie? Hmm. Seriously, that that's my argument there. <laughs> okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, Tomar Ray, he's not exactly the most fleshed out um, fleshed out Green Lantern, but once again, you get a huge actor like Jeffrey Rush. This is the guy who brought life to Captain Barbosa, and you're going to give him nothing to work with. Hmm. No, nope, that's fair. <laughs> now, now here's an idea for you. Don't even start with Hal Jordan. It's Green or Green Lantern movie, Sinestro, Kilowog, all the rest of them out in space doing their own thing. You know, kind of get a feel for what the Green Lanterns are. Galaxy kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And then in the second movie, come to Earth with Hal Jordan. Okay. So and you like have, have Avin Sur in space with the rest of them and then have him die and then, yeah, go into the owl thing. It might be interesting to start with Kyle and just have, start with Kyle getting the ring, his origin, and then 
working backwards to save Hal Jordan and learning Hal's background that way. I think I'd be interested in that movie. I, I suspect if DC does another, like they, they've been wanting to do another Green Lantern movie and I think they've been trying to figure it out, but I suspect they might do that. Like, like if there's a new Green Lantern movie, I don't think it's going to be Hal. I think it's going to be one of the others. It could well be Jon Stewart just because he's popular now because of the Justice League cartoon oh, and like well known by people oh, because of that. We're but, not getting another movie. Well, we're, we're getting we're getting a TV show. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, not maybe. They anything that DC. Eric, how many times has DC announced something and then not had it happen? So I mean, yes, but, but almost as much as Google. This. This has been given to the uh, Berlantiverse guys. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the projects that was specifically given to the Berlantiverse guys. I, uh, at the same time, Stargirl was so it's already heavily in production from the last updates that they've given. I don't know if uh, if the virus is slowing things down. I'm sure it has, but from what I know, it it was moved ahead straight to series by the uh, HBO. Um, whatever their streaming service is called. so HBO Max. Yep. That was the last update, at least. And that was like not even three, four months ago at this point. Okay. I had not heard that it had gone to series. I've just heard that it was something that's being worked on. Well, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, this is, you know, it's not, it's on and off topic at the same time. It is that with the Arrowverse and all this, you know, and this buildup is, 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 DC playing such a, lo- a good long game because I think their movies are going to dominate in, when I'm like 60. <laughs> I mean, when, that's, when that generation of kids who've grown up watching those shows want movies based on those characters. Yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. Eventually, either Marvel is going to have to like completely reinvent itself or it's going to collapse under its own right. Mind. Right. You know, and it'll be interesting to see like if they're clever enough to keep things going or if eventually it will just become like this this unwieldy juggernaut that right. they just like sort of like fall apart from within rather than, you know, because of, you know, uh, uh the same, you know, like DC just doesn't have a plan. Um so it'll be interesting if DC is ascendant at some point in the future, but for now at least DC has not shown me that they can put together anything on the scale of what Marvel's been able to do and make it work. And well, it's, it kills me. Is that it seems like they keep trading places when it comes to animation too. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, and the Marvel cartoons. When I was a kid, I was a teenager. The Marvel cartoons were, you know, the X Men, Spider Man. All mm-hmm. those were they were the, they were the best. I mean, outside of you know, Batman the animated series comes along and blows them all out of the water. But mm-hmm. it seems I like disagree. they <laughs> really X Men is so much better than Batman. What? Because uh, <laughs> it had it had interlinked season. stories. It had interlinked stories and character development. Batman was all one-offs, except for a few two-parters. So don't. No, no, <laughs> I'm saying so I, I agree with you if you say if you say that with the first season of X Men. But after mm-hmm. that, I think Batman does this build-up arc that is such a long-term mm-hmm. good thing. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> okay, I. I but I'm saying you, you, you but actually Batman was first. It actually predates X-Men or Spider-Man. Um, right. so it didn't come along and blow them out of the water anyway, but <laughs> it was okay. first. Okay. So. All right. Just... <laughs> all right, but keep going. No, that's all right. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, but yeah, they changed. Yeah, I agree because yeah, they had X Men, Spider Man, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, and Incredible Hulk, and they were all uh, they were all like you know in like an interlinked universe. Like Spider Man and X Men had a crossover, and then Iron Man guest starred on Spider Man one time, yep. and then Iron Man and Hulk crossed over, and then Hulk. Well, you only really had time. Yes, yeah. point is that they keep trading places. Is that you know them Justice League and you know Superman mm-hmm. all these other series DC comes along and then Marvel's kind of really dropped the an- the animation game they've not really done a great job of keeping their animation line as mm-hmm. as well developed as the the DC universe because I mean just look at the releases I mean they're quiet releases but the straight vi- the straight videos of some of these you know DC adapt- adaptations are amazing mm-hmm. they're not just they're not just they're not, they're not just good you know comic but they're good art I mean it's just amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Marvel's definitely, ever since the Disney purchase, Marvel's animation has just sucked. Like, oh. Spider-Man Unlimited was so bad. So bad. Especially so the bad. fact that they killed the spectacular Spider-Man, which is yes. possibly one of my favorite cartoons. Mm-hmm. As, you know, as, you know, someone... and, and Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes was also excellent, and yes, they killed that was. too. It only got two seasons and then got the X. Yes. Yep. It's mm. just it, when DZ took over, it just killed the anime. I mean, it's funny because Disney killed the animation side, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, but Disney had Gravity Falls and uh, DuckTales. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they dumbed down the animation side on Marvel so badly. And like, yeah. it, like, like watching Spider-Man Unlimited, like it insulted my intelligence watching. I yes. mean, it was just, oh. So bad. Just wait for Disney to buy Warner Brothers and then everything (laughs) can be in the same universe. That way Harry Potter can play too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, so any other thoughts on the Green Lantern movie and other than, I mean, I don't want like a, like a pithy, you know, like, uh, oh, well, they should just read on the whole thing from scratch. Like, like things that you think they could have done to make it you know, more palatable to long-term fans of the, sh- the movie uh, or the character as well as, you know, like audiences going in. Um, just to go in turn, uh, Eric McCracken. Uh, dial down the scope. And mm. I, I don't, I, you have so much to work with o- over so many decades worth of comics. You know, just like you said, bring it down to earth have the first movie be about Hal Jordan on earth as an earth enemy. He's the only, like he, he's the only green lantern in the universe as far as he knows and, and build the character from there. Once you've established that and you've got a good solid fan base based on that, then bring in the lantern core and, and everything for, like build up to parallax. Don't have that be your first shot out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Hector Hammond could have been the villain instead of just being like, we kind of sort of introduced that there's a backstory there that we kind of make him the villain, but he's really just an adjunct to Parallax. <laughs> you know, it was kind of. Right. Like you waste. have, like you have excellent characters that you can pull from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, and like comic book movies ha- have had this problem for a long time where it's like, okay, let's make a movie and have, the Joker be the main villain and kill him in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you want to you know, like plan for the future, don't, don't just go for a one-off. That's why I loved Batman Begins so much is that they didn't start with the Joker is they decided to do, and then just make the Joker the tease for the next movie. Um, but uh, all right. So Will, what about you? Do you have anything that you think that if they had just made a few minor tweaks 
I think you, you uh, yeah, I, I really, I think his, all his points about keeping it on earth. I, I, for, for comic book's sake, I'd have, I'd have kept Sinestro as a bad guy. I made him the villain, this, you know, mm-hmm. the interstellar, this interstellar to introduce that there's a core out there and, you know, kind of the build on the universe. You don't have to kill him. It, it doesn't have to, I, I, that's why I think I hate about one-offs with comics is that you end up, they end up killing their best bad guy. And in, at least Marvel got smart and brought back Loki and, you know, did things like that. But, Bat, you know, when Batman killed the Joker in the very first of the, you know, those first Batman movies, you're going, why did you kill the your best villain? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and instead make it where, you know, you drove him off planet and you, you know, it leads into that sequel, but without having to, it can still be a standalone film. Yeah. I think there's an escalation problem in a lot of movies because they want to start off with like the strongest like villain. And right. then it's like, well, then you get rid of them. So then it's like, where do you go from there? Because you already got rid of the strongest villain. But then there's the other side of that problem where it's like every Fox X-Men movie had to have Magneto. Like they oh never killed God. Magneto or even sidelined him. It was like Magneto has got to be the center point of all these movies. It was like, okay, guys, the X-Men have some other villains. It's okay to kind of... <laughs> We'd like Mr. Mr. Sinister, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do a Mr. Sinister one. Do something. I mean, they did try to do Apocalypse, but then Magneto was right there uh, with him. It's yeah, like, I know. Okay. Uh, anyway. Apocalypse or Ivan Ooze? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, Ivan yeah. Ooze. Ivan Ooze. All right. Um, Angie, something that you think they could have done to fi- to make this movie more palatable to people? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to disagree with everybody else, I guess. I Coming in with fresh eyes i mm-hmm. didn't really have a problem with the basic story points um but there just wasn't a payoff everybody was just kind of there and i feel like literally everyone was phoning it in i just feel like if somebody could have cared about any of it then maybe it would have just been a better film um it, i mean it's easy to say the cgi should have been better but you know if they had looked at what was possible and kept it within that confine or not depended so heavily on CGI, it would have been a better film. Um, you know, that's something easy that could have been done. Or if someone cared that much, then make the tech. I mean, there's Hollywood is full of those stories. You have a concept. It's not possible with the current tech to, you know, to, to create it, to display it. So they make the tech that's possible. But if it's not, you got to stick within the confines of what you can, you can do. They were way too ambitious with that. Um, I actually don't mind that Sinestro was the good guy the whole time. I think that's kind of that's kind of neat, and it would have been, you know, if it was something like a trilogy, it would have been awesome probably for the middle portion to show Sinestro just being slightly off in his interactions with other people, and then having him be the villain in the third film, mm-hmm. I think would have been great. Um, you know, the problem is if the Guardians can't beat Parallax, then, like, Brian Reynolds flying him into the sun shouldn't have defeated him anyway. So I think it, they just needed to bring the stakes down a little less, right? Like he didn't need to defeat Parallax. He just needed to save earth from Parallax or something like that. Like, I I think it was just too absolute. Um, And don't bring in Amanda Waller if you're going to do that to her. Like I don't, (laughs) I, well, I have, I have no way. (laughs) It's Angela Bassett. She's obviously capable did no one watch Strange Days? Like, 
why? Why was Amanda Waller just like I don't understand that portrayal at all? It hurts me. It's kind of um, like how they did Batman in this in in, 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 in Emerald Twilight. So. Yes, yes, that's how I feel about that. Yes, I, just, I, know, I agree with you. Take her, her out if you can't do her justice. Right. Well, well that's like how the 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 Arrowverse like just made uh, Waller so flat. You had to wear stilettos all the time, and <laughs> it was very important that she be young and hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I was not a fan. Um, the other thing that really bugged me is they explicitly mentioned the number of Green Lanterns in, um, in the galaxy or the universe or whatever it was, mm. and then showed way more of them CGI'd in right. um, on Oa, which is just really, why? Why would you do that? It's just, yeah, no one cared about this film. No one involved in the creation of this film cared about this film. The Green Lanterns, as far as the eye can see, to the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than 3600 guys. <laughs> well, it's kind of like what they did in Ant-Man too where they ex- where they explicitly explained how the science of shrinking works and then ignore it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> but see, all right, all right. So here's the thing and here's my sort of rule about this. When it comes to physics, it's okay for them to play around and do whatever they want because it's science fiction, right? It's the characters that have to feel real and, like, do they need to react the way, like, a character should to that. And if that feels wrong, if that feels off, if that feels unrealistic, that's where you get a problem. But, yeah, as far as, like, the physics of how, like, shrinking works and everything, if that doesn't, like, hold up very well. But... Well, it doesn't matter what the explanation is, or mm-hmm. at least to me. If, if you give an explanation of how it works, you have to follow those rules. Yeah. You know, like if you say you keep your mass even though you're smaller, and then you ignore that later and have a tank in your pocket. Hey, you'd have bad. no idea. They might have been doing squats, like tons of squats. <laughs> <laughs> and they're strong enough to hold a tank in their pocket. <laughs> well, but also scientific advancements can happen. And also characters can be wrong. So it's possible to hand wave all that stuff. Right. Michael well, yeah, Douglas I mean, especially when the, like, the back, I mean, this is why every once in a while comics will do something like Rebirth is because, like, the explanations they used in the 60s, like, because people understand, like, they, like the general populace understands basic science at a higher level, you know, they have to sometimes come up with new, like, ways of explaining things because it's like, well, that just sounds like, like complete nonsense. So now we try to come up with a different kind of nonsense sense <laughs> it sounds a little bit more real um eric ratcliffe you uh, yeah <laughs> so so anything anything else that you want to say about you know tweaking this movie or changing it that you feel like without throwing it out completely would have made it you know a movie that would have been more you know uh for for general audiences and for longtime fans yes better storyboard artists and a better uh, costume designer (laughs) (laughs) all right am i wrong (laughs) i I definitely agree that the cgi costume was a huge issue and they should have gone with something that looked a little more traditional um because yeah that that sort of like sort of faux naked body thing that they did with it was just kind of too glowy and nasty looking and yeah It, it, it led to the one joke that works in the whole movie is when you know she he's trying to disguise himself from you know yeah. Carol, and she's like, uh, "It's you, Hal, with a mask." I mean, you know, Lantern's <laughs> costume is like the worst at disguising what you look like. Right, because I can't see your cheekbones. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 
That's the only thing in the movie. I mean, honestly, she pulls that timing off perfectly. <laughs> yes. No, I like that. Um, I don't know. I still say he looks like Will Ferrell with the mask on. I feel like they could have gone two ways with this movie. I feel like either that they should have gone with the completely earthbound thing that we've been talking about and and just like capitalized on the relationship between those three characters of Carol Howe and uh, Hector and and just made him the villain and made it about isn't that know, Iron Man at that point? <laughs> well, but except Hector isn't like Obadiah, I right? I, I mean, know, Hector's I a, his dad is more like that kind of a yeah, character, right? you know. But but you know, Hector himself, Hector Hector was very sympathetic how they started him out, right? And and you kind of feel for him, and I feel like a sympathetic villain is not a bad thing to no, have. And you have. and you totally get why someone like that, when presented with power you know, might completely twist, right? Because he'd been picked on his whole life. He's always been passed over. His dad's constantly told him how bad he is and and praised somebody else's kid, you know, way more than him. You know, I, I can totally get why he would have an axe to grind both against his father and against Al. You know, it's the Big Bang Theory line. He's only one lab accident away from being a supervillain. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I think that would have worked or, or com- turn it completely on its head and make it the uh, Hal is trained, but not like by the whole core, like Sinestro shows up to train him and make it the Hal and Sinestro movie and have it be something where they're working on something together that, you know, is in space or something. But don't like throw in like 5 million characters and give them all like two seconds of screen time. You got to keep it smaller. Right. And, and, and I feel like because they tried to throw in the kitchen sink and they wanted to link Parallax and link him to Hector and that didn't even work. Cause it's like, okay, Parallax is like living fear and he infects Hector and that gives him telepathy and telekinesis. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not fear. Like, what is that? I mean, that doesn't seem like a fear based thing. So I don't know. I feel like, that they kind of just merge too much together. If they had just left it simple and been like, we can grow all of this over time with a successful movie. I mean, even at the end, I don't know how many people stayed for the post credit scene, but they have Sinestro grabbing the yellow ring and putting it on before he's shown any signs of like being like a villain in this movie. Other than that, he suggested maybe fear was a better source of power. There was so a post credit scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is. Sinestro goes to the yellow battery that they created and grabs the yellow ring and puts it on and he gets the yellow costume. I was so eager to turn it off I didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> and so again, like it would have been a lot more interesting. Like that makes it seem like the second movie would have started with Sinestro already as a villain. And it's like that that's unnecessary. You know, like you should do like the whole thing of everyone thinks he's great, but then they actually go to his sector and find out, oh, you know, maybe he's not so great. You know, that, that would have been a far more compelling story. Um, you know, because then there's, again, sympathy. You could have his moral justifications for it. He could, like, talk about how things used to be before he did all this stuff. You know, all that kind of stuff. Instead right. of just having him be like, oh, he's already channeling fear, so he's already, like, turned to the dark side, basically. Um, so, anyway. Um but, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, I, I'm glad that we got a chance to discuss this because every time that I hear Green Lantern mention the movie, it's always just people slagging it off and, like, there's never any real discussion about, okay, what are really the merits and the problems of this movie and, 
you know, I kind of enjoyed having that discussion of, you know, where, where is this, you know, hate coming from and looking at sort of the backstory and all that. So um, I, I thought that this was a, a really good time, guys. What's the saying? The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Mm. Boredom. This movie was indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about the, uh, the Fant Four Stick movie. You know, the, uh, the one in 2014 that, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that movie, I didn't, it wasn't so much that it was bad. I was just so utterly bored by it. Oh, I found it actively offensive. No, okay. oh, no, <laughs> no, no, there is, there is no forgiving a movie that makes Ben Grimm's catchphrase something that was used for his brother to beat him. I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh, that movie failed in so many ways, but I think the worst way it failed was that I I couldn't care about any of it. So (laughs) I feel like it was the worst from that standpoint, because I laugh about movies that are actively bad. I couldn't laugh at that movie. It just left me hollow inside. (laughs) Like, I like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, because it's bad, but it's bad in a fun way. It's meant to be bad, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's a fun movie. I can watch Roger that. Corman make it. It's not. Let's hire Spielberg and only give him hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, let's get Roger Corman. He'll make it awesome. And sadly, it's still the best depiction of those characters we've had on film. I like the first one. <laughs> you know about the two thousand five one. Yeah, I like that one. I, I like it. It's it's sin to me is that it uh it gets doomed so utterly wrong. But you're right, for the four core members of the cast, right. they're they're all pretty good. And Doom, I mean, and again, bad writing because I love the actor. I love um he was on at um Nip Tuck. I love I love that guy. I thought I always mm-hmm. I thought it's like I, oh, he could he could pull this off, but man, they they just wrote that character so bad. No. Well, also the insistence that he still needs to look pretty so that we see him all right. the time. Like, that's the antithesis of Doom. Supposed yeah. to have scarred face, mask. Yeah, that was the thing. It's like, we get, we can't hide this good-looking guy. So, <laughs> instead of disfiguring him, which would have been awesome. I mean. Yeah. All right. We'll do a Fantastic Four episode at some right, point, yeah. I promise. All right. <laughs> Maybe we can do, like, the Corbin one and the... 2005 one. <laughs> compare and contrast um all right but, uh, all right uh, guys so yeah this was a lot of fun um but let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find you online so if they can find you online so angie why don't we start with you i got so close to starting a twitch stream this week um oh wow we've been we have been using twitch to play jackbox games with our friends mm. in quarantine but I held off. So no, you still cannot find me anywhere but here. No. Well, I am so glad to be that, that you are a 42 cast exclusive. Uh, indeed. I'm glad to be here. All right. Um, Eric, why don't you, or Eric McCracken. God, I'm doing it right to the bitter end. Eric McCracken, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? And for the longest time, you just called me the Kraken. And yeah, and no, I solved this problem. Yes, yes. I should do that. <laughs> All right, well, um, I'm on YouTube, Clan McCracken Gaming, and I also have my blog, clanmccrackengaming.wordpress.com. And you can find me at either of those locations. Okay. And Eric Ratcliffe, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me very easily on the internet because I am not that hard to find. Uh, Twitter is just at Eric Ratcliffe. Uh, newcomicday.net is 
the website for New Comic Day. Uh, if you just type in Why I Love Comics on iTunes or Stitcher or just Google it, but you'd probably have to put the podcast in there, like Why I Love Comics podcast, you'll be able to find the podcast. And yeah, that is how you can find me on the internets. All right. And Will, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Um, thanks for having me on. And uh, you can find me on the geeky side. You can find me all over the ESO network wherever Mike says, hey, you want to come talk for a while? I'm there. Um, yeah. And so just there we go. All right. All right. So, yeah, Will, Eric, Eric, and Angie, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thanks for having of course. me. Thanks, man. Thank Anytime. you. And that's a wrap on our very first episode of Screen Reads ever. We hope that you liked it. We hope that you liked the format. And if you did, let us know. Also, definitely let us know what other movies you'd like us to cover in the future. And you can do that in a whole bunch of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another one is to go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a review on this episode or leave suggestions on this episode. Another way is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can message us either on Twitter or on Instagram at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And the reviews on Apple Podcasts help to promote the show. The more reviews we have, the more we'll show up in searches. So I'd definitely appreciate that. And so if you can do that, that would be great. Also, I wanted to let you know about the ESO Network Patreon. That is a way for you to support all the shows on the network. You can find that by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can look at the different tiers. You can see the different things you get for the different tiers. You can get access to early episodes of some shows, exclusive episodes of some shows a couple of different exclusive ESO Network podcasts only for patrons. So once again, that's patreon.com slash ESO Network. If you have the funds and if the perks sound interesting, then we definitely appreciate if you contribute. You can also find me on two other podcasts. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. You don't have to buy the episodes because we explain everything that happens. So if you just want to hear our banter... Or if you do want to follow along, then you'll definitely get more out of it. But either way, give it a listen. And then once again, that's time streams. The other one is Legendary Forces. That's where Juliet and I again, but also with Corey, Ashley, and Joe are going through all of Star Wars fictional media. So all the comics, novels, movies, of course, TV shows, anything that actually takes place in the Star Wars universe. We're covering all of that. We're telling you what we think of the media itself, the particular thing that we're watching or reading. But we're also going to talk about Star Wars and sort of the evolution of Star Wars and the things that make it into later Star Wars and sort of discuss why things work or didn't work and all that kind of stuff. So that sounds interesting to you. That's Legendary Forces. Beth and I just finished The Expanse, which is a really awesome show, and I am really disappointed that they only adapted the first six books of a nine-book series. Because the adaptation basically makes it like they're assuming that they're going to get to the other three stories, and it's looking pretty likely that they're not going to. So they're probably going to force my hand and get me to buy the books so I can figure out how all of this gets to the end. I know the books are a little different anyway. I mean, they always are, right? But I want to know the rest of the story, and so I guess that's a sign of a good show when it leaves you feeling that way. Just a little... (laughs) Just a little miffed that they didn't try to wrap it up or put a nice endpoint on it so that if they didn't get renewed, that fans, the audience that had watched the show, would feel satisfied. You know, other than that, we're watching like the various CW shows which have come back. 
also trying to get done with uh, Continuum, which is an older show. I say older, it's about, I don't know, 10 years old that some friends turned me on to. Um, We're on the last season, so we're going to get that done. In movie news, we just saw the Hugh Jackman movie, Reminiscence. There were things I liked about it. I definitely liked the ending, and I liked sort of the overall tone of the movie, but there there are a lot of plot holes. (laughs) There are a lot of things that don't work, and there are a lot of plot holes. It wasn't really well written. I do really like that ending. I do really like aspects of the movie and, you know, kind of trying to do like a modern movie and a kind of... Like, doing, like, a, a, a sci-fi modern movie, but with a noir feel to it was kind of interesting. But, uh, yeah, uh, it could have been more. But anyway, if you want to see Wolverine fighting, you know, there's a, <laughs> you know, there's a couple action scenes in the movie. It's not really a big part of it. But anyway, I like Hugh Jackman, and I thought I'd give it a try because the trailers looked at least somewhat interesting. So there you go, my short review for Reminiscence. But that's it for this week. Join us back next week when Gary Gygax will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.